Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Aaron Chapman. I'm Dustin Howard. I'm Tom Annis. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. Uh, we got a great show for you guys. We got some of the, the Evil Empire, the Shogunate, the uh, guys from Dojo. And we're going to be talking about the Samurai Showdown GT, which is probably one of the first real tournaments that we've had uh, during the COVID, like in-person tournaments during COVID. So we're really excited to talk about everything Samurai Showdown GT. So first, why don't we do, you guys have been on the show so many times. Uh, I don't think we need to do a full background on you, but why don't we do a quick round the horn. Uh, let's see what everyone is up to hobby-wise. Um, first, uh, the Spymaster... Dojo's every man, the handsome Tom Annis. Uh, what are you up to uh, hobby-wise? Well, I, I did a lot of hobby preparing for uh, Samurai Showdown GT, so I'm kind of taking a, a little bit of a break. We have Living Legends GT coming up in mid-September, and Aaron and I are going to be pairing up for that, trying to defend our crown. So I'm going to be using some of my undead units. Uh, you know, that's a team's tournament, so you, you take... Uh, Half the points are yours, half the points are your partners. So I'm going to take uh, certain undead units that I've been working on for the undead army I took to the tournament and just, you know, doing a little bit more highlighting and stuff just to make them look prettier for, for that tournament. So it's pretty much all I'm up to. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on, I will be going to uh, Living Legends 2, uh, teaming up with Todd again for um, Soulful Justice Warriors 3, the final justice. Uh, last uh, you know, last year we were we were a more justicier, and this year we're the final justice because we feel like it's the the milieu of the times. Um, uh, what about you, Aaron? What are you working on hobby wise? I'm uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. I hobbied my brains out trying to get all the terrain and everything ready for the tournament, and uh, now. I'm mostly just uh, trying to make a few new units because I haven't updated my. I haven't updated any army for third edition yet, <laughs> so I gotta throw a few new units into my uh, Varinger to team up with Tom. That's gonna keep me busy for the next uh, few weeks for sure. I just want to know how do you guys live with yourself when last year Todd and I <laughs> lost you guys for soft scores? Are you guys on the board now? Soft scores are good. I just want to know how you guys live with yourself. <sighs> Uh, soft scores have always been good. Jeremy, you have no idea how how much chore that brought Aaron and I to know that we won because That's of classic. soft scores. You, you can't like write like a better uh, uh, narrative to that event, but it, it is. You so guys cool. went five and zero, right? Yes. Yeah, but, we lost two games. We still the, won. <laughs> the funny thing is, just like I love the Todd Todd the death, but I know when they announced the winners, I was just like, oh, we won best battle. That's great. And Todd was all like, damn you, soft scores. <laughs> Uh, but yeah so over the last few years we've gone nine and one so we're hoping to 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 bring it home this year but it's just i mean living legends is such a great tournament and it's like a lot of fun team tournaments can be really uh really enjoyable i think it's it's a fun dynamic awesome what what about you dustin uh uh live from the the mega powers headquarters which i believe is your barn 
are, are you lifting? Or are you painting? What's happening? Uh, today's a lifting day. <laughs> I have to multitask at all times. So are um, you talking hey. like, like push-pull, buys-tries? Like what are, what, are, uh, what are we looking at? Now I was actually doing a strongman log that I loaded up. Today was supposed to be a PR day, but I didn't get it done by the time y'all called. So we'll see. I'll probably wait for after we get done. Just do a bunch of accessories in the meantime. But uh, I just pace around like a madman. Hobby-wise, I have to build a board for uh, Varnger Northern Alliance. So I'll be doing that. We don't know if uh, if Alamo what's its situation. So the goal was to do nothing but mirrors. I did 90% Mantic for, you know, Samurai Showdown. I wanted to do 90% mirrors for Alamo. but So I'm painting like a madman when it comes to mirrors so you can bring in and and like present it to ryan smith and like have the lights from like the spotlight like shine on you as you're like mirrors models yeah i know well i gotta do every cheap trick in the brook a book because we have such a good paint uh competitiveness around here well as you know you've stepped up your game as well in the arms race so uh last two years uh it's like last year and this year so far i'm on a streak always getting top three paint except for masters they're just too tough for me. I'm going to try to do that at Alamo again. My PR is second in paint, so I don't think I could dethrone Hank or Jordan, but one day I can. Yeah, I mean, there's just like a couple uh, uh, guys who just lots of really talented painters, and then there's there's two or three percent, or there's top two or three guys which are on such like a other level. Um, it's very yeah. difficult to challenge them, but I think you know always be improving, right? And every you know and everything you do, always trying to be getting better. Well, awesome. You know, I'm really excited to have you guys on the show. Talk about uh, Samurai Showdown, the Dojo GT. Aaron, why don't you talk a little bit about what was it within like the Dojo Guy Club? Like when you guys were talking about what was sort of your your reasoning to maybe want to put together a live tournament? I I did run the first Kings of War tournament one day back a few years ago when we were doing that uh, decision between Kings of War and Age of Sigmar when when everything was getting chaotic. And uh, I, I enjoyed hosting that one, and I promised to host more, and then I never did. So it's always been sitting in the back of my mind, I should really host a tournament. But Texas and the South in general has had a pretty robust tournament schedule that there's not really a whole lot of room for it. I, I made some comments about uh, how I've you know help, helped out uh, Mark with some ideas on how to uh, do some of the scenarios with Lone Wolf to kind of help balance them out a bit. And he took a few of those ideas and actually used them in a couple of the, the tournaments he's run. But I haven't actually done one from scratch, full, full-size full tournament. And uh, I was mentioning that to everybody in the club that, you know, at some point, it'd be pretty cool to do a little tournament. We could make it dojo-themed. Here's all the stuff that we love about the various tournaments we've been to. Here's all the stuff we hate about all the tournaments we've been to. And what if we just kind of made our own and, and try to incorporate as much of the good things as possible? Uh, and make it something we would be proud to host and uh, and play in. John Green came up to me and said, "Hey, I I know you want to run a tournament. You know, why don't we go ahead and just do that? We got enough people." I'll, he he was happy to help me out, and uh, we uh, we started kind of looking at venues and dates, and it it kind of lingered for a little while there, and not a whole lot happened couldn't really find a good place for it we were mostly looking at louisiana because john wanted to uh he was talking about doing a uh, a tournament there he gets he's a boxing commissioner or something like that then he could he was going to put like an mma fight or something as part of like the sun the saturday night uh, show uh for everybody and he was really excited about doing that but that kind of fell through didn't work out 
And so it kind of fell on me to start looking for venues. And I found a pretty good place at a nice hotel, the Aloft down by Dallas Love Field. And everybody seemed to think it was a good idea. And we just looked for a, a date that it could work in. And this was all back in early 2019 when uh, we, were, we were doing this. It kind of worked out that July was probably the best date. We were, we were having a little bit of trouble with it because there's already a tournament in Dallas, <laughs> Lone Wolf. And we didn't want to step on their toes. And we also didn't want to step on the toes of any of the other major tournaments and, and lower their attendance by taking away from them. So there's there's a lot of discussion about where we could fit it in. And, and I, July kind of worked out to be what, what we could you know, make happen reasonably without causing too much chaos. You know, and that's kind of like an interesting thing that happens in the background of, of when you're a TO or you're tournament prepping. Is that you're trying to think of not only what when how does this date work for like my local area? But if you're trying to get people to travel in, travel in, you're trying, you're mm-hmm. trying to kind of like balance these dates with all sorts of different factors because you, that's true, right? You, you want to have these tournaments spaced out so that players who like to go can go to all of them and you're not, you know, not having to make, have players make, you know, tough decisions. Well, the, we, we were hoping to get like a, like a master's crowd, ideally. And and one of our goals was to try to draw from the southeast and the uh, and the mountain and and uh, Midwest, uh, especially if we could, because uh, a lot of those guys have come down to, to do some of the south tournaments and had I've spoken to a few of them and they were they're saying they'd be they would like to be involved in a dojo GT. They figured there's a good chance we would run a cool one. And and I told them, well, as soon as I get my shit together. <laughs> And actually make it happen. I'll, I'll let them know and and invite them all down. I I expect to see them, and it, it they they didn't disappoint. We we actually had a huge number of people show up from out of town. It was it was more than a third of the tournament was people from uh, other regions that actually showed up for this one. And you've touched on it a little bit, but talk a little bit about like when you guys were now that you've decided to run the tournament, right? Mm-hmm. You've decided to run it. You got the time. You you found a cool venue. Talk a little bit about. Uh, were there stuff on on like the wish list that you got? You were like, guys, we've got to have this at the tournament. Were there stuff? Oh, we don't want to have that. Or talk a little bit about the theme or the, the sort of creative origins of what you wanted to do for the the samurai showdown. For a theme, I mean, the obvious was to do something Japanese samurai related, since it's kind of the club uh, mascot. I, I don't recall exactly who came up with it. I assume it might have been Stephen Firth or Brad McKay or one of them uh, came up with the club name because I joined in the dojo. Uh, you know, years after they were already a thing, I don't, I'm assuming it was just uh, this looks cool, and you know, we'll just we'll just toss a name onto something and have a unique name that isn't taken already for a club. Well, it's, we've kind of grown uh, a bit since then, uh, since the olden days of Warhammer, and the the club has gotten a uh, fairly solid uh, samurai-ish uh, reputation type of uh, type of uh, look to it with our jerseys and whatnot. And so we're like, well, we just have to have a theme. So why don't we just make it samurai themed? And Samurai Showdown uh, seemed like a pretty good name for for a tournament. It it you know had a good ring to it. And if you're going to do a samurai showdown, then you should at the very least have some samurai at it. So looking around, um, I am not ashamed to say that that uh, Lady the Lady of the Lake had some pretty cool rules with their choice to have their little, their special knight character. I uh, decided to go ahead and use their their basic outline for for my tournament because it was such a good idea. 
I uh, decided we're going to have that special character in it, and we're going to have to have some themed terrain and some themed uh, scenarios of some kind, but I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen at that point when we were actually coming up, up, up with the idea of doing a tournament. All that came a little bit later. Uh, but we knew we were just going to have to do something samurai-related. And uh, But the, the big thing was making sure that it was a good scoring system, that it was as objective as it possibly could, that it focused on all the areas of uh, soft scores and battle, not just focusing on battle like people have wrongly accused us of just being uh, uh, power gamers and not, not caring about the soft scores. Uh, we, we, we have a pretty <laughs> solid uh, reputation lately of actually having some, some pretty decent painters and uh, some nice people in our club. It's not just the, the, the nasty Brad McKay and myself uh, <laughs> like it used to be uh, giving you a bad game. We got Tom and Dustin who are, who are way nicer than I could ever be. <laughs> I joined in so uh so yeah we, we figured figured instead of it being a old school ard boys uh gw tournament we would uh, we would make this a proper one where you know you actually had to be nice to your opponent and you know have a little bit of fun with them now on some level i have to ask you right yeah so like so you guys are often you guys are like the heels right you're the bad guys sometimes sometimes right now is that something you on some level you like to like enjoy leaning into or I don't think people actually think like, oh, those guys are all whack player. I, I think some of it's just the kind of fun. I mean, is that how you guys see it? Or does it like piss you off sometimes if people inherently think that you're one way or another without having never actually met or played you? Yeah, a, a lot of, <laughs> lately it's mostly the wrestling type of thing. It's, but it's one of those, you know, there, there's, there's a bit of truth to it because, you know, five plus years ago, the, the whole dojo concept was 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 uh, we were uh, some power gamers that joined together so that we wouldn't have to play each other in tournaments. <laughs> and because the, the group of us that were doing this, there's only like four, four or five of us that were playing in tournaments, and we constantly had to play each other. So we're like, screw it. Let's make a club. Uh, let's, let's invite the hard people in. Make sure we don't have to fight each other for the first you know, three, four games. And, and at least we don't have to have a, the hardest game possible because the hardest people are in our club. And and people noticed. I was just looking recently at an old battle report that uh, once Bitten did of the 2015 Masters, and uh, and listening to how 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 annoyed he was when he had to play me at that Masters because I took literally the hardest list that was possible to bring to it. Uh, and I know uh, Brad and Stephen both were there as well from the club, and they both took the hardest list possible. And uh, it, it was a reputation as well-deserved. But we started adding some nice people in. We upped our paint game, and now it's mostly just kind of a, a relic of the past. I've, I've calmed down quite a bit, and, and I would say Brad's calmed down some. But, you know, Tom, Tom makes up for almost all of it by himself. He's just too darn nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can't, I can't be anything other than a baby face. So, <laughs> so Tom, yeah. Tom and Dustin, you two joined in kind of later. What, what, what was your opinion of the club and, and that reputation thing? They said, apparently, P.O.s tended to use me as the guy to knock y'all down. <laughs> and I was, I, we always pay, played each other every game. It would literally be nonstop. And then they would mark me as other members of their clubs, even though I was a Ronin by myself all the time. Then once I joined, uh, Lance recruited me. And then uh, I brought in Eric and John Green. That was like a, we're dojo style, and I, 
I kind of view it more of like the attitude era, Jeremy. Like we're like a we're heels, but sure. we become the favorite. Sure. Yeah. So, because let's be real, You're like the baby face of the '90s, who would never have been a baby face of the '80s, but the dynamic of it changed. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. technically, the evil organization in all kings war is your club, the toddlers. <laughs> But we won't get there. Y'all are the Vince McMahon of uh, of uh, of gaming. But uh, needless to say, we kind of uh, when we go out of region, we get like I think John won the best sports award when he went to. Is that all right, Aaron? Like, ladies, I like I think John won best sport. Yeah, yeah, it was something like that. As long as we don't play uh, Texans, we tend to do pretty good in sports. I only do good in sports if you like a competitive game. Uh, if you don't. Uh, don't play me because I literally just feel like talking the whole time and drive you insane. Well, I've always, I mean, I've always been a pro- proponent of the fact that you can have a tight competitive game and also have a blast with your opponent. Right. Exactly. Like it's, they're not mutually exclu- exclusive things. I don't think. Oh no. I've had, look at Tom, me and Tom's game. It, I think we burned a thousand calories just sweating, not just because the net gators and a mask, but because of just, if you have one of those games where it's a nail biter, I remember I don't know if y'all were there when Shafani played, but he was a every game we played was a nail biter. And that was always my favorite game. Just playing him. He knocked me out of top table before and I did the same to him. So every game it felt like that was the final, no matter what. I mean, I sort of bring it up because like I like all you guys and I've had great games with I've had a chance to play all you on the table. Uh and Brad and um uh, Steven was, I had at my first Alamo and Nick, I think I've played, I haven't played Lance yet, but played the majority of you. So I, and I think some of that reputation is just sort of like the urban, not urban myth, but you know, it's just sort of like cultural. It's just become like a thing to say, you know what I mean? So, well, and then, and think about now compared to how fantasy played, like there's a lot of players around here who you should not be fun to play against. And I, I won't mention names, but I've given some of them best game votes in Kings because they've calmed down because the rules so, are so tight. Like, the rule set itself benefits being friendly. It really does. It's like, all those arguments you see online, those people must not play GTs because GTs, that's usually the most, Masters is probably the most mellow tournament I've ever gone to, if you think about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, and I think that's really a, a, a good point, uh, that the nature of the game can sort of, uh, make the players who play it like adapt and how they approach it just sort of like the style of the game exactly i agree with that one no no as as soon as kings of war took over the once i had a set of rules that couldn't be abused and i knew my opponents couldn't couldn't abuse them all of a sudden i was like oh all the all the weight slips off my shoulders i don't have to bring a broken list anymore i can bring a you know a interesting one something that's a little bit different or 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 has a a quirky uh a mechanic to it but it's not going to be game breaking and there's no rock paper scissor type of list anymore so I'll... yeah the, the slave orcs were pretty quirky Aaron. i just feel like they could win a game even <laughs> if i do something stupid like like take a slave orc army they're like oh yeah. this is, you know i might get my ass kicked but at least i killed you know 800 orcs while i was getting a kid killed right yeah, yeah i love that list that was my favorite one you've created by far so and i think you bring up a it's sort of like some games have a like if you want to play in a competitive level right some games have a spectrum where the strength of list spectrum can be wider, meaning there's more lists that you can craft that could be within that spectrum of being competitive from 
okay, I can win tournament games to like being really dominant. And I think some games that sort of group of lists is smaller and I think it's just bigger in Kings, right? Like you can take still competitive lists, right? But there's a, a, a more field to play in to make those sort of lists than maybe in some other games. Experience is rewarded more. Like it's more knowledge on list rather than list itself. Because we've all played a system where you built a list and it did all the work for you, right? Yep. I'm Aaron's uh, white, uh, what was that, the elf list? And yeah, the white even... lions. They were so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I was next to you. I think I was on table two, and the demon player just looked at him and he goes, well, this sucks. And Aaron goes, yep. Because <laughs> everything, uh, that was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, and I think a lot of other game systems are trying to move that way. They want to make it more about um, objective play and scenario play, and make it like the list still matters, but try to put more of the emphasis on the table. Because there has been times in other game systems, right, where when you come to the table and you're just like, oh well, okay, and it has nothing to. I mean, literally, there is nothing you can do, and I just never feel that in Kings. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It's always an avenue as long as you know how to approach it. Like, if you lose, most of the time you can look back and be like, oh, I lost because of I did this stupid thing or this dice roll. Or, you know, you can actually see what happens as opposed to, like, like we've said, like, no, none, none chance. But um, I get six, a six dice purple sun is I still have PTSD about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, one thing, I, like, as we talked about, we talked a little bit about sort of what your guys' original ideas for for the tournament, how you, f- you foresaw it, sort of. Uh, happening and then all of a sudden we have this like once in a generational crazy time and our like COVID I mean I was born in 1980 and I was on a hike today and we were talking about um, social distance hike of course Um, uh, talking about uh, this event and really the only thing that I can think of in my lifetime that I was where I was semi-adult is like 9-11 and this event where we have a before the event and we're going to have an after like it's a real huge point in our history so talk a little bit about when covid was happening were you getting closer to to samurai showdown what were your, your guys sort of initial talk within the club about whether or not you should have the tournament or not have it since i was mostly running this on my own uh i i kind of made the decision at the time uh that we're just going to have a wait and see approach and everyone seemed to be okay with that idea i was still getting signups during covid as it was ramping up and getting worse i was still getting it Mission fees. Um, I wasn't seeing a huge drop off, or I would have said, okay, obviously there's not an interest in this. Um, and Texas still hadn't been hit to any significant degree. I mean, there were a couple of pockets here and there in the Banger cities, but as long as you weren't living there, it's not that that risky for for people coming from out of town to to come to a a venue as long as they all are fairly safe. So I was like, yeah, you know, this might blow over. The some of the initial reports were saying, you know, maybe. Maybe it'll be kind of like a flu, and as the weather warms up, uh, you know, people will social distance properly. They won't be crammed together like like what causes the flu to get so bad in the winter, and uh, and it'll slow the spread. <clears throat> and maybe people will be smart and start wearing masks and you know taking all the precautions they're supposed to take. Well, the the precautions weren't taken by the majority of America, <laughs> and uh, uh, it started spreading more, and more tournaments started shutting down. We got to we still haven't had a huge problem in Texas, so we're like, hey, let's let's see if it'll be okay. You know, you know, worst case scenario, we cancel it a month out beforehand, and I refund people or have them prepay for the following year. It's not that big of a deal. But I had gotten literally zero cancellations due to COVID um, a month out from the tournament, and and it was 
shortly after after it was pretty much set in stone that we we're going to go ahead and hold it is when Texas finally got hit. So we had I had to make the decision as to are we going to actually just go ahead and cancel this outright or are we going to make sure that we just run this as safely as possible and take as many precautions as possible and still try to hold an in-person tournament. And there were a couple hurdles to get over with that. We were able to accommodate the the necessary uh, safety precautions. Um, and so it made it made it reasonable to hold the tournament. So the, the, the big thing that we had to make sure of is one that everybody that was going to attend was willing to wear a mask. And I know Dustin was kind of annoyed at that. And I had a few other people that were like, I don't know if I want to attend if I have to wear a mask the entire time. Um, but uh, they all seemed to get on board. They, I think they realized once all the other tournaments canceled that this was probably going to be one of their few chances to actually play. And being safe was better than uh, than not playing at all, right? And, uh, of course, I had to make sure there was tons of hand sanitizer. Uh, and I was going to make sure everyone what was attending without a fever. Um, and we uh, we wrote up uh, a basic waiver, a uh, liability waiver, just to make sure everyone was on the same page and understood that you know there is a still a real risk. Uh, you're doing this at your at your own risk, and uh, if you don't feel comfortable, you really shouldn't be here. the The biggest thing that made it possible to hold it was the the venue uh, gave me about double the space that I asked for, so that we were able to spread all the tables out by more than six feet. Uh, that that minimized the amount of actual contact players we're going to have and gave us uh, a fairly safe room as long as nobody was actively you know shaking hands and taking their masks off you know the studies were showing that you could get an 80 to 90 percent reduction in the spread just by wearing a mask and not touching anybody that seemed like a fairly reasonable you know uh so it's kind of like uh, you had, restriction uh, yeah and you guys were doing like the laser thermometer checks like a, yeah. a check-in where you were yep. checking everyone's temperature. Correct. Um, yeah. On Saturday so, morning, we checked everybody that walked in the door and just made sure that no one was running obvious fever. Just reminded everybody, do not shake hands, do your proper Japanese bow. And, uh, and I, except for me having to get on one or two people a few times that were kept forgetting uh, or purposefully lowering their masks to take a drink and then not lifting it back up, you know, I think we yeah. had, I think 33 of the people that attended actually wore their masks the entire time perfectly without any incident. And then the other, the other couple that I actually had to get on a few times, you know, they, after I harassed them about three, four times in a row, they, they finally just stopped fighting back against it and, and followed the rules. But I was, I was watching the, 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 like a hawk the entire time. <laughs> yeah. And I think in the end, some of it, it's like, you know, uh, you have to make the choice that's best for you. I know I wanted to go, but uh, since I would have had to fly on a plane, for me personally, the having the flight was just one extra step that I didn't feel comfortable doing, but I didn't be judge anyone else who wanted to go. I mean, the fact that we, we still all go to grocery stores with masks. There's no one at the door of a grocery store checking our temperature. You know, so I mean, I, I think that uh, if we're going to have live tournaments moving forward, and COVID may be with us for even if we get the vaccine or whatever. Yeah. It, I mean, I was reading the article the other day that it may be either th they don't know, is this going to go away or come back or, you know, like become a sort of super flu or whatever. But the point I'm making is that we have to, if we're going to go on and learn how to hobby in a safe way and, and, and connect with each other, we're going to have to look at how to run events within this sort of new world. 
So it's almost in a way your your guys' event was sort of like I, it's like I don't want to say incubator because let's not say that, but <laughs> like test, uh, uh, yeah. the test the test for can we have a sort of event work while taking like as many like over precautions right, which is masks, social distancing, hand sanitizer, uh, temperature check. And then did you guys find you know as we get ready we'll we'll go a little bit into Dustin and Tom's list and actually talk about some games, but how did you feel that was the community were they was everyone happy to sort of take their part in being safe and try to respect the fact that you know uh, for us to, to come together during this time we have to make these extra precautions. I mean, do you think people were were generally supportive or they just didn't say anything because they just wanted the game so much or what? What do you think? I think most people were more than happy to do whatever to. to to attend an in-person GT again. I mean, I heard from multiple people that, you know, they're saying I haven't seen another human being in a couple months because I, you know, I live alone and, and it's just me and, you know, my pet or something, or, you know, I really needed this for, for my mental health. You know, this is a great weekend. So I think almost overwhelmingly everybody that attended was, was more than happy to wear a mask and social distance and, and do the right thing. And, and, and also, you know, being the first tournament in-person tournament since the COVID has hit us, um, everybody was pretty cognizant of the fact that, you know, everybody's eye, the entire Kings War community's eyes were on us and that, you know, if someone got sick uh, and we weren't doing our best to prevent that, then, then we would look pretty bad. And so everybody really wanted to do their part to, to make sure the event was as safe as possible. And, and I think that was generally the attitude that I that I saw. I agree with Tom. Uh, they kind of caveated off of him. A lot of people just liked the way Aaron ran everything because he ran it really well, not just rules wise, but in the face of how COVID uh, is being handled, he did such a good job that they didn't want any undue burden on him or his running of that event. There's a lot of people who I'm friends with and talk to quite a bit of the people who came here. They're like, he ran such a good job, and we all know what a public forum, uh, what a small community we are in King's War. So it's like, hey, if we want more events to go on, we need to abide by the rules. And it was like, it was very understood socially that, hey, if we want to have more events, follow the guidelines that by a TO. And uh, they did a good job on it. Like, uh, as a whole, uh, I have not, I don't know about Tom and Aaron, but the ones I've been in contact with, all of them have came back okay. I haven't had any issues with them so so far i haven't had any reports i re- i sent out a general email to everybody saying if you did come up positive or with symptoms let me know immediately so i can notify anybody you are in close contact with and have them make sure they're tested and whatnot but i've had zero reports and talked to quite a few people and they all say they've been fine so uh it, it looks like we the odds were in our favor to begin with that nobody attending was going to be sick the extra precautions that we took were just on the in case that somebody happened to be exposed uh, shortly before they attended and were in their contagious phase before they actually started having symptoms. And that's a pretty small window of, of opportunity and, and a pretty low risk in general. Um, but you have to take as we took the precautions necessary to minimize it. And everybody seemed to understand that that was necessary uh, I was really happy when Jose Vega, uh, our, our local doctor, uh, uh, was saying, yeah, I'm, I'm only attending this because they're 
they're taking all the precautions necessary and I wouldn't be attending if I thought it was unsafe. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a good endorsement. <laughs> Glad I got a doctor on my side in the community. And I think that, you know, we see it now, right? People are beginning to have, you know, patio hammer where it's games on your patio or being social distancing or beginning to see people playing in game stores with masks and really learning how, how can we adapt during this crazy time, but still have games and are still have events. Um, and I think it's like, I'm always of the mind as you, you, you take each thing one step at a time. You look at, you look at the science, you look at what, what can we do? And then you make the choice for yourself on like, I totally respect and understand like the people who don't want to go because they live with someone, their grandparent or, you know, they're around someone who's at more risk of if they do catch it having a serious outcome. So I think in the end, this is what we have to do, right? It's just, you know, be science informed, be able to pivot. If something comes up, you know, uh, follow, guidelines and go that one step you know above and just really focus like you said i like the idea of like you talk about that social contract and wargaming always in the past is about being a good sport but i think now of this of wearing masks and being safe that's also now part of the social contract if we want to start gaming again with each other is to realize that it's not just you it's your opponent that you have to make sure you're being fair to so i was glad to hear that you know we haven't had any uh, bad outcomes post the event yeah and well, we did we, have one. Oh. We had a, a doctor catch dojoitis and joined our ranks uh, for the <laughs> so, Just another another thorn in the toddler's side is oh. we got a doctor on our team now. Well, who, just, who, who is this? I did, I did not hear this. Oh, I'll let Aaron break the news. Uh, oh, uh, we, you talking about Jose? Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, he, he joined our team for for the purpose of the uh, the team award, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not, so not, te- permanently. Te- not permanently. Not permanently. Temporary. Yeah. Okay. No. I thought I was going to have breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in adjacent to our legal team, we had a doctor for a little brief moment. Well, I would never want to go to court against Dojo since all you guys are lawyers, basically. So um, <laughs> I just, that's just a, 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 you know, something I try to make sure it never happens. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's not rocket science to, to take the precautions that we took. Anybody can do it, you know, replicate it. Um, one advantage we did have was, like Aaron said, we got an extra room for free, which really helped spacing the tables out. But, you know, everybody can can do what we did. And it really just comes down to, you know, trusting people to not show up if you're sick and if you think you've been exposed and just doing what you can. I mean, and then everybody that shows up just has to um, you know, reflect on what their risk level is and, and show up or not. I mean, the, the toughest thing is that there's a lot of people who really, really want to, wanted to be there, but for one reason or another, you know, either themselves or someone in their family is too high risk. And so they, they just couldn't, couldn't take the risk, even with all the precautions, which I totally get. And I feel horrible for, but, um, you know, I think even, even with that being said, Kings of War is such a tournament focused game at least where we are um so having events is really important and you know i think everyone's happy to do whatever they can to keep it healthy and and able to run gts so yeah like you said the more we look after each other and the more we respect what's going on the more likely it is for us to be able to play games with each other again you know what i mean so to me it's like like you say it's not rocket science let's just look out for each other let's do the right thing and then (laughs) So this will be not an if we're all back gaming together, just so when that will be. 
Okay, Aaron, one thing before we get into uh, Tom, uh, Tom and Dustin's lists. Part of running a GT, really, I think, is a lot of... It's almost you have to become, like, a master promoter, you know? And one thing I have to give you really props for is that you guys had a website up, really nice, really clear, lots of emails. Was that something for you in wanting to run a tournament? Did you really want to start to create, like, an infrastructure so that, you know, not just, hey, I'm running an event, but really create an experience for people signing up to your event so that you were, they always knew what was going on, uh, really great communication? Was that in your head when you were wanting to plan this event? Yes, yes. So... You, you can go look at a few of the tournaments today and they've got tons of broken links or old information on them and uh, and you, you, you just have trouble navigating and you have trouble finding out exactly what the tournament's going to have for you. You know, you, you know you're going to play some games at 2300 or 2500 points. You know what days it's going to be, but you may not know anything about the scenarios or how the scoring is going to work or how they, they treat certain types of terrain and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, what I, and then, and then even worse, which this, this, this kind of, this is one of the things that was my pet peeves about tournaments is uh, the scenarios wouldn't be released ahead of time. You'd find out what the scenarios are sometimes the, the, the night before you, you start playing your first game. And if they, Texas has a history <clears throat> uh, more so than maybe some other regions of, creating some really interesting and unique scenarios that sometimes change the entire game mechanic and you don't know about it while you're building your list. And, and you're like, okay, well, I don't have the correct hero on the table to do the special rules. So do I just not get the special rules anymore? Uh, it's, a little Texas, it's a little Texas Hold'em action. Yeah. You know, or, or I, I don't, my army is not, is, is all flying or all shooting. And now there's a scenario that just says there's a 50, 50 chance that, my army loses its primary rule that that you know takes up fifty percent of the points value of it, and this doesn't work anymore. Uh, and it, those are things that are helpful to know about beforehand. So, so the before I announced the tournament, I wanted to make sure that I had as many of the rules uh, up uh, before I well, made the official announcement. I, I told a few people I was doing this ahead of time, but I didn't make an official announcement until I had the actual website uh, built. And uh, I wanted to make sure it was something nice and easy to remember, so I found dojogt.com, uh, which was wonderful. Uh, and I made sure that it had uh, not only the basic information about the, the event itself, but it detailed the venue rules, the uh, painting guidelines, the, uh, and then, of course, the painting checklist, so you know what, how you're going to get scored. It, it detailed how you're going to get your sportsmanship points. It detailed how you're going to... Uh, use your special samurai hero, uh, detailed how you would use your samurai hero to get the bonus objectives for your battle points, and what scenarios we might use so that you could practice literally every part of the game beforehand. And I even listed the heights that I was using as my my uh, recommended size for all the terrain and what the special rules were for my special piece of terrain that I had for the Tory Gate. Um, it, it was all there on the website, you know, I think I think I had everything written up at least six months in advance before the tournament, and most of it was there a year beforehand. Uh, with the goal being that if you're going to come to this tournament, you're going to know exactly what you're going to uh, need to have prepared, and you could practice any scenario in any style against any list and know exactly what your army is capable of doing in that situation. And 
I could tell that there were a few armies there that had come prepared for the special rules and were making use of it because they were reading all these special these rules ahead of time. And you could tell who wasn't 100% aware of them and uh, wasn't reading all the rules because they came in with a list that just wasn't quite tailored to the tournament theme. 100% of the way, and they had some struggles. I'm not just trying to blow smoke up your butt, but you've done a phenomenal job with this one. And it wasn't just because I won it. It's because... <laughs> it's <crazy. laughs> oh, I'm serious. I, I, I hated... <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. By the way, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> the problem I always had with GTs is there's no sort of rubric so I could follow. And uh, I need to have guidelines. to figure I'm a government employee. But... The thing is, other regions have told me prior, we wish we'd come to more, but we can't plan on y'all's bonky scenarios where you could lose a major vic- uh, loss, but giant kicks a ball over your army. So, you know, for example, <laughs> so, uh, one of the wonky scenarios we would no, do. No, 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 no. That scenario was perfectly acceptable, Dustin. Well, I, I quick fix giant, so I was really good at it, so I'm okay with it. But yeah, uh, and I think in that tournament, remember Dustin, we played and uh, it was random deployment. So I, I was playing orcs and all my war drums got had to be deployed on the right and all my orcs had to be deployed on the left. Makes sense. Like, right? that, that was fun. Yeah, yeah, totally fun. Yeah, right? it all, yeah, all its hordes had to be in terrain on the far left. So it was like, oh, that just sucks. Uh, but that being said, I had other regions say that was usually the problem with Texas GTs was. They wouldn't know. And there's certain missions, like I played one against Aaron where I couldn't score because I had orc infantry at yeah. the first Bayou of Kings. Because you couldn't, they wanted to be an inch away. So that being said, his transparency was told me months in advance, we loved y'all's site. We loved the way. That's why we had so many, we had a lot of, Aaron might know, we had a lot of first-time GT players here as well. And they did good in battle. And they did good in battle because they've always, they liked the transparency then we had all the high quality mountain and the northern invasion happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on top of that, he, him doing that up ahead made it so easy to navigate. Yeah, I think your website is really great. I like how you have uh, uh, the rule section super clear about you know here's your special characters you know and like you said before you guys had the samurai samurai hero a la the good neutral and evil alignment all had their own um, like samurai clan to fight with. I thought yep. it was really great. Your scoring examples were really great. Um, I just want to know um, John Green he, is he happy that he beat you? On the on the, the uh, sample score sheet, <laughs> uh, I, I just felt that was it was proper to be humble in that situation. Well, I thought John, John does yeah. John never beats me in real life, so he that's this is the only chance he's gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was just looking at that. It's hilarious. But like you said, you have the appearance section. Everything's just super clear. And already, like what I really respect, and again, really want to give you props for, in the rules section, are these pictures. Are these the samurais from this year who won best painted for each of? Because you have three samurai pictures here. Well, the on the real section, I picked a, I, I put them in order of a good, a neutral, and an evil sure. samurai model, uh-huh. just as representations. But yes, they are some of the the, the nicer ones. And okay. of course, I put I put the uh, uh, the best painted samurai, the favorite samurai at the on the front page, along with the samurai of the winning uh, general, best general. Sure. So, so yeah, that, of course, and it didn't didn't hurt that they were the nicest samurai that were painted in the tournament. Yeah, <laughs> to no, go on the front just, page. Uh, uh, 
just like I said, just because often you see that, right? On some tournaments where you, because some of it's like if you do well, sometimes you want to like, you know, uh, click on the tournament and see your name or whatever or have pictures from the event. So having like the site updated is really mm-hmm. good. Um, I still give Ryan Smith a hard time is that the, win- the winning results for Alamo go up into the year that the, we started to come and play and then won the following year. And then all of a sudden, it, California, you got to race it. There's no one knows how to play Kings of California. <laughs> I'm just glad I didn't so, come to Dojo, so I'm still one and one against Dustin. And <laughs> I can say Dustin's never beat me, or, or or we're tied in tournament games. So I can I get to hold on to that for a few more months. So until yeah. until we see each other at uh, Masters. Uh huh. And then uh, uh, I'll take my shellacking, uh, my no touch social distance shellacking like a gentleman. So I don't um, know, man. It's gotten pretty good. You uh, you disciplined my boy Tom the other day, so. Yeah, well, you know, Tom usually beats me all the time, so I had every now and then I, I find a way to sneak sneak in the W. Well, speaking of Tom, why don't you take us through your list, Tom? What did you end up taking the uh, the GT? Um, so I, I pretty much uh, so at, we decided that we were going to do a, a dojo as a club was going to do a, a Mantic Army challenge, basically where everybody. Pretty much everybody that plays regularly, attends GTs regularly, was going to build a Mantic army as kind of their first uh, third edition Kings of War army. And so my choice was uh, Undead, mostly because I had a bunch of their uh, Mantic models already, just, you know, picking up random eBay uh, auctions and things. And so it was a... an easy, easy thing to do. I, I didn't really have any great desire to play Undead. In fact, usually Undead leaves me kind of, kind of uh, uninspired in most fantasy settings, just because I can't get inside their head. Um, you know, unless I, uh, I have some sort of hooked hook um, that I can come up with myself. So you know, they're usually just a mindless horde, which doesn't appeal to me. Um, but anyways, I decided to to pick them up, and so. Been working on them pretty much since um, you know November, December. I had a couple units for my Basilean slash Brother Mark for uh, my Masters list in February, but then other than that, I, I've just been working on them pretty much since, since the beginning of the year. Um, so my list was, and I say all that in my defense because it's not like I just picked it up uh, in the past couple months just because people decided all. As all you read an army of revenant uh, cav, I'm. Yeah, yeah, so Please continue. Are, are broken, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, as Aaron said on the matchup cast, I took all the good stuff. <laughs> so I had three regiments of rev cav, two troops of rev cav, two soul reaver infantry regiments, two white hordes, uh, a vampire lord on horse. So that was a, a tournament specific choice since I know it has to be. Killing samurais in every game. That the, the duelist on the vampire was pretty nice, and then I had uh, two necros with bane chant and heal, and then two revenant kings on horse, both with surge five. So that was my twenty-three point, uh, point list, plus the samurai for a twenty-five hundred point list. And then what about you, Dustin? What did uh, what did you bring to Samurai Showdown? I brought. Uh... Since we did a 90% Mantic, I was like, okay, what's the easiest to do? And uh, that was going to be Monsters Infantry. And I've never seen a really legit high element, elemental paint job. Doesn't hurt that it's a really good unit. <laughs> but uh, so I decided to do an ice theme. So all the Arnold puns from the 
film Batman and Robin, I could use those. Mm-hmm. And I decided to build a list around censured, around caveating. They had to be in it. I had to use the Dustin approach, so I needed some monsters. I had some gorgeous models I've always wanted to paint. So I was like, that's what we'll build it around. So I did a, uh, I had three snow foxes, the regiment, greatest piece of chaff there is available right now for light chaff. Like Aaron said in our matchup cast, they're just great. I took two cavern dwellers and I took Frim, which I love that guy. Two uh, ice queens, one with heel, well, both with heel and surge. I took four ice hordes. I took one Lord on Frost thing. Naked. That was the bare principle of the list. As always, I had monsters, which I had to have. I had to, I used that D&D frost giant that I've always wanted to paint. And the rest were from, a couple models were from Blood Rage. Uh, the two cavern dwellers were from the board game Blood Rage. Then I had, the rest romantic except for Lord on Frost thing was just dwarf on a, well, apparently Hank beat me to it. He had the same model. I wouldn't have brought it, but uh, it was a 3D printed dwarf on a big boar that uh-huh. I tried painting a white theme kind of off of Princess Minoke. That style, but uh, took my own liberties with it. And then uh, paint-wise, I just wanted to paint a dark ice and freeze things underneath the bases so they're reaching out of the ice. So, and I, I used ice imps for snow foxes for just imps painted blue around frozen longships. But well, you know, you know what they say. They say, you know, in the universe there is only one absolute. Everything freezes. So yeah. I, I just. <laughs> Oh, I know. Were you like, I'm here to kick some ice. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to play Lizard so bad, so I could go, what the other dinosaurs? The ice age. <laughs> <laughs> no. <I'm like, laughs> oh, uh, okay. I panned out. Like, Dang it. I did quote him quite a bit, though. We're not going to go uh, a game by game. Piece piece. A little time has gone by. But, Tom, why don't you give us your uh, standouts, maybe from your first few games uh, or from your day one, basically. Any moments that, that stood out, maybe a, a highlight from, from each of your day one games? Or, or what sort of st- stood out for you on day one of the tournament, game-wise? Sure. So, um, game one, I played Drew Richardson, who's an Oklahoma City guy. And... Uh, he really likes to to uh, hug me and, and show me a lot of affection at tournaments. And so I knew it was going to be a fun game, even though we had never played. Uh, although he couldn't do that this time since the social distancing and all. Um, and he had a, a Forces of Nature army, which was a, a bunch of centaurs and pegasus and uh, unit flying unicorns uh, and a tree herder. And so we were playing Invade game one. It was, we were the same speed, pretty much. It was just he didn't have enough crushing, native crushing strength or bane chant to really get through my defense five. So um, I just kind of put everything up into charge range, and, and he hit me, but didn't hit me hard enough. And then when I hit him back, it was it was kind of uh, over at that point. Um, and so that uh, I won game one uh, with, a, I think it was like a 20 or something. Um, and then game two, I got to play Jesse Berglund, who was one of the Minnesota guys who drove down. I think it was like 16 hours or something crazy like that. Um, and I had heard of Jesse because uh, he's come to Lone Wolf a couple times with Chris Kapsner. Uh, and he's kind of has a reputation for bringing 
extremely shooty lists. Like, I think he shot Todd Serpico off the table on like three turns a, a couple of wolves ago with an elf army that allied into Ogre Shooter Horde or something like that. Like all the shooting plus more shooting. Yeah, right, exactly. And so, so third edition, you know, it's kind of took his thunder away a little bit, but he's still trying to make shooting work. And so he had a, li- a pretty interesting Sylvan Kin list, uh, which was two Forest Guard Hordes, I think like three Hunters of the Wild Regiments, a Gur Panther Troop, and then the meat of the list, which was three Master Hunters, three uh, Archmages, all with Lightning Bolt, and three Bolt Throwers. Uh, so it was, it was a ton of shooting. And he told me before the game, he was like, yeah, I always take shooting. You guys down here, I guess you don't play against it a lot because you really don't know how to play against it. And so I took that as a little bit of a, a personal challenge to to show him that at least some people do know how to play against it. Um, so the highlight from that game, it was push, was, was game two. And he he was kind of conservative because I had the, the threat range on him. And he just wanted to sit back and shoot me. Um, but I... I rushed him with, you know, my Revenant Kings, my Vampire Lord, and just, you know, again, shooting, you, just, you can't waste any time. Um, so I just ran as, as fast as I could up the board. And uh, I, will say, I will say I felt bad because we had a tournament reroll, and he, he won first turn, and I really didn't get, want to get shot uh, turn one without having moved up. So I, I did the thing where I re-rolled the, the turn roll <laughs> right away and, and won it. S-O-B. Yeah, I felt pretty bad about that, but uh, <laughs> not as bad as I was, was going to feel if I, if I got shot without moving turn one. So uh, the other highlight from that game is that the Samurais all had this special ability called uh, Seppuku, where you could basically commit suicide and then disorder every single unit that was within 12 inches of your samurai. You lost the samurai after that, so it was, it was not a, a decision to make lightly, but, um, you know, against him, I figured it was, it was probably going to be pretty useful, and so I, I ran the samurai up turn two or three, and I think I disordered two of his master hunters, all three bolt throwers, all three mages, and a force guard unit, which had TC, so... Total of nine units. Uh, I think I had the record for the tournament for that. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Although I do feel kind of bad because he was saying on another podcast that all four of his, uh, well, four or five games, people were did that to him. Um, so I guess it wasn't as clever of a strategy as I thought. But uh, that ended up 17-4 to me, I think. And then game three, I played uh, Hank Gouge, who has the, the pool party dwarf army that you've probably seen all over Facebook. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And I was happy to, to get to play him. And I, I knew, you know, he had won two games and he's been playing a lot with Jeff Swans. He's kind of a newer player and people might think he's just a hobbyist, but, but I knew, you know, he knew what he was doing. And so I didn't take it lightly at all. Um, our game was pretty close most of the way. Um, I had a white horde front charge, his earth elementals, Bane Chanted did three wounds, and then I, so that meant his Kragoth, uh, sorry, he was playing Free Dwarves. His Kragoth had a flank on my whites if I didn't kill his Samurai with my Vampire Lord and then overrun at least two inches to block it, which thankfully I did, or else I think the game could have went uh, a different way. But uh, 
uh, we were playing pillage, and then eventually I just I just uh, had too much too many attacks, even with a lot of his defense six units, and so that ended up I think twenty points to me. So after day one, I was sitting on fifty seven points. Nice. And then um, what about you, Dustin? Uh, take us through your sort of day one at the tournament. Well, day one, I was blessed by playing Brian Bredour, which is always a fun game. If you've never yeah. played him, super nice. He also had the most beautiful samurai by far. I campaigned on behalf of that model. It was that beautiful. He blew it out of the park with that one. He was playing an ogre list, which I really, it was a jack-of-all-trades ogre list, but I knew the tools that he uses that like ogres. And uh, it was I believe, I can't remember who got first turn, but he had me out beating unit strength, as we know. So uh, we knew he was going to come forward. But just with how Hrim works, uh, I was able to use him and a Cavern Dweller together tandem on a flank with a Frost Lord. So I could just swing his whole side. My Samurai, on the other hand, with another Cavern Dweller, I, uh, Brian knew how to get to me by issuing a challenge to my manhood. So. Uh, I ended up not taking his debate with the samurai. The hubris defeated me. His samurai popped my samurai in one round of combat, which uh, which is good for you know that when that happened, that's when the turn where I was already I killed a lot of things and I saw like a light at the end of the tunnel. But that turn just he he started fighting back and everything everything he touched just went away. So it was a good game. Um, Brian's always fun. So it was uh, his king, uh, his warlord on a chariot. He, just pinning that guy down was a pain. Like that guy was a, uh, I, I suggest ogre players take him. Uh, after the game, we do, y'all all played me before. I like to talk to y'all about Joseph's list. We're just talking general. So we were talking about, you know, different uh, added ways to use those berserker units because they're so, they're such a good steal for their cost. My second game was against one of the prettiest armies there. It was Jeff, uh, your teammate. And he had probably my favorite list just because those damn buster regiments are gold. A lot of people sleep on them. But when you have Nimble and Strider together with that little fly, you can't really block them up and you can't let them get a flank. And he used those, which is a great opportunity. But when it, the fact that it was a theme of water versus ice and we played on a lava board it's kind of strange but <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah so we ended up uh it was a bad for him it's because all my shooting he's he usually brings a lot of ensnare so at the end i was able to split like for when i charge because he drops his tokens for his damn busters because i had to drop my three tokens off of my cavern dweller because he did a he got a like a one turn high nerve roll which was just enough to waver me so I know they're going to die because I couldn't support that turn. So I dropped them. He killed the cavern roller, picked it up. Well, then I already swang, swung after I killed everything on the off the board to the left of center. Except for one unit on the right besides the cavern roller. I'm sorry. Uh, there's a water elemental. Sorry, not water elemental. Uh, depth wars were in the bottom right. So I moved my entire force to mid board from the left, swung it all around. And then uh, I was able to... Pop said, uh, shift over with my Ice Queen. So when they overrun, I have two chances to roll over. I needed a three to grab the tokens. That the top one grabs, 
that would give me four tokens. The top one, I needed just a three, rolled a two. The bottom one rolled a four, which put my front right corner on my, his table half. So I was like, okay, the game ended on turn six. But I think uh, Aaron pointed out that I was the only one able to pull a loss into a, a win, a surplus of points, because I killed everything on the board except for one depth horror board, and I maxed out my samurai objectives. So that point of swing still gave me the more points than he made, and which gave me to game three, which was against that longtime internet pin pal, Don, me and Eldon, which goes by Donnie. We've been messaging each other back and forth for a while. Uh, we, when we played each other, we were, uh, he was, uh, he just got on some medication. So we were like, okay, take hey, no stress here. Like, tell me anything you want. It's like when we play, uh, Jeremy, now it's like, okay, if you don't want to expose the flank, just let me know. I'll tell you. Yeah. Intention. Talking so, about your, your, yeah. your play intention, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is all 90% of the problems that people are having on the internet to be solved with just dialogue. And that's not just in Kings of War. That's in every life. It's open dialogue and everything. And uh, me and him had a great game. Uh, he took he took a gamble, which uh, actually could have paid off. I used, I, I got first turn. I remember this game quite well. I used a Tory Gate as a launching pad for my uh, Samurai. And my uh, Lord of Frost thing. Because we both had the, who's the surviving? Uh, the Samurai has to survive. I forgot the name of it. And so since we both had the same target, he threw in Julius, which I know he's a bad, he's a badass, right? He threw in Julius while blocking us from Gert Panthers. That being done, I was able to use my heel to heal, constantly heal that samurai, pinning Julius in place, which allows me to kill the Gert uh, Panthers and turn. So then the Laurent Frostbank could kill Julius after a few turns. Uh, I was able to move my... Uh, there was a, I think it was a crop field. So he was, I stayed out of the crop field while he moved up, but he could march through it. So that gave me a turn to shoot all the siege breakers. I mean, sorry. he had a bunch of paladin guard, like four regiments. Really nice list. He took sharpness on a dragon, which scared me. So I had to play back on that one. And, but since they're movement five, all I did was target each ice elemental into each one of the uh, foot guard. By doing that, I was able to slow them down to movement four, so I know I could get two turns on them, right? So by doing that, one of my one of my ice terminals went off uh, across the board. It went. It was like twenty something wounds against defense five, and one round of combat, and one round of shooting. So he had, uh, and it was against three paladin foot guard and one gur panther. Ironically, I only did three wounds to his gur panthers with one round of shooting. All the damage went on his defense five. I ended up popping one foot guard, wavering, uh, the other one, the other one's fine, and I got lucky on the nerve roll, killed the Panthers. But that happening in one round allowed me to shoot it again, while Hrim and a, a Hrim and a Cavern Dweller were able to hit, to kill, uh, kill, kill some Gur Panthers, turn just out of LOS, uh, and just because I froze that unit on the far right who wasn't wavered, they, he would have been able to charge me, but since I froze him, I was at eight and a half inches. So then that allowed Krim and a cavern builders to start double teaming everything on the right flank, which that's that, that's what helped me the most. This Krim and the uh, cavern dweller pulled their weight like this Krim by himself 
if you know how to use a monster, it's fine. Like, you know how to protect them. And as we know, I build most of my list around cool-looking monsters. So I played in my uh, wheelhouse for that one. But we ended up having – it was a win for me on uh, that one. Like I said, I've messaged uh, Donnie a couple times since. I kind of I kind of want to go visit one of their tournaments. I wish uh, maybe the next lady I might go up there for that one. Yeah, you know, uh, Donnie's a great guy. He's been doing the like SWAT Fantasy Squad podcast now. Uh, 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 the Chris has kind of stepped away from doing that a little bit. So if you haven't, make sure to go listen to that. I know he had Jeff Shilkin on recently. And then, like Tom said, Jesse Bergelin was on there, I believe, the other day, too, talking about their dojo runs. So make sure to check out that episode as well. Um, great episode. Listen to it, yes, uh, earlier today. Yeah, so make sure you guys definitely go out and check them out. Give them some um, listens. Um, okay, cool. So with that puts you, let's look at the top 10 end of day one. A lot of familiar names. So Tom is in first. Dustin is in second. Dylan Murray, third. Adam Ballard was in fourth. Jeff Shilkin in fifth. Jeffrey Swan in sixth. George O'Connell in seventh. Jeff Radigan, Mark Cox, and then Jordan Lawrence. So a lot of really good players in that, right? Um, a lot of names that you uh, would be familiar to see. And like Justin sort of alluded to earlier, most a lot of events for those who, who maybe don't go to as many tournaments is often day one of a tournament, you won't play your club mates. So the idea is that you guys have traveled together to play in a tournament you want to play other people. So usually they'll do club immunity is what it's most often called where you won't play a club mate in first round. So Aaron, was that uh, did club immunity just go through day one at Dojo? Uh, it, it went through the first two games as the primary uh, pairing uh, aspect, but it was um, it was the secondary after battle for the third game. I was, sure. That we didn't have quite enough people to say that you could go a full three games and guarantee you weren't going to play a club mate because it, there's, there's not enough spread uh, with only 36 players to, to make that fair. And the goal was to make sure that whoever you were playing was going to be someone that was doing equally well after their second game sure so tom you knew you were going to play dustin right then at the end of that one he was he was in in your sights uh, uh how did you sleep <laughs> that how, how did you sleep that night <laughs> you know honestly dustin i knew we were going to be playing each other uh, you know a couple months ago it just it, it just seems to happen at every single tournament now um and it's usually game four uh and so i had thought a little bit about what I was going to do against this list. I mean, I had never fought against it. It's, it's the, the most difficult thing, most difficult list of, to fight during a GT or the kind of the out of the box ones that you haven't fought a million times before. And so Dustin's ice elemental list is definitely that. Um, so, but like I said, I knew I, I was probably going to play him if I did, you know, what I thought I could do in my other games. And so I, you know, I slept pretty easy. Not because I thought I was going to win, but just because, you know, I had already thought it through and there's no point in, in staying up and trying to think about sure. it more. Oh, I just also sent him memes to bother him throughout the night. That's just smart. So, that's so yeah, smart. That's, I was pulling Arnold and pumping iron and just constantly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, when I roll dice, I just feel so great. I, I just roll dice all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> well. We actually went out to dinner together, and so that was that was probably the highlight of the whole tournament. Was that the dinner with a couple other people? That was pretty pretty funny. You got it. It's just like pumping iron. It's like you know, my father had just died, but I had to go to a GTE. 
Funny you mention that. I've had some similar stories. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had dinner, and then Tom told me, I think it was four months ago, that he goes, We're probably going to plan. And I was like, Oh, I guarantee it. Because between both of us, I think we played the, probably the most games of third edition out of anybody I know. Just because I got some other first responders into Kings of War. And yeah. since that, I was able to play. Tom was doing all those online tournaments. I've been having to, you know, do all these random hours for work. So we just play in person. And uh, so Tom would go, oh, it's going to be experience versus experience. And I tried to convince him. He made, the, he made one mistake before our game. He told me he hasn't done something in any game with Undead. I'll let him tell you that. Uh, why don't you take us into your second day they, uh, then? Because you guys then played their uh, day two was two games, right? So r- round four, you guys were matched up? Yep. Yeah. Yep. We were playing Rays. Um, and so Dustin won to, to place the, the Rays objectives first. And so I, I do the same thing that I think Dustin does, which is if you don't, if you don't win the role to place the objectives, just basically mirror whatever your opponent does to kind of negate that advantage a little bit. And so we just had three raised tokens on each side, just directly across from each other. And we both pretty much deployed centrally. Um, I think for myself, I'd probably a little bit too centrally. I maybe should have kept some RevCat regiments that I had on the end of my line out uh, more wider just to protect the uh, the objectives that he was trying to come after. But um, it was a pretty pretty even even battlefield, there was a crop circle right in the middle, so he could see and shine that, and I could see and charge him back if he if he got in range of me. Because um, the one weakness of ice elementals is that they're only uh, range ten, and so if he was going to shoot me, he would get in charge range of you know the whites, which are speed seven, but also the vampires, which are speed six. Everything. Not, not to mention all the revcav. Um, and so my, my whole plan against whenever I play Dustin is just, you know, keep all your units flat up against each other. Don't, don't, uh, don't spin anything and, and give them a search flank um, and just kind of move forward. And, and my, my other plan was, you know, if you get caught up on the monsters, then you're probably going to lose. And so I was planning, a, you know, kind of an alpha strike. You know, once he came up and shot me, hopefully enough of my stuff was still alive to charge him back and pop, pop a couple of the hordes and then turn out towards the monsters and just maybe, you know, outfight him uh, at th- that point. So that was the plan. <laughs> Dustin, I don't know what you think, what you thought about deployment and in, in the early turns. Well, Tom told me something before the game. And that, as we all oh, know, right. he told me that he's never surged with his undead army. And I told him, I was like, I'm going to make you surge this game. If you want to win it, you're going to have to surge. So deployment, I, for him, it was a little different. because He actually has the tools to deal with me. As in, like, he has combat individuals. He knows how to use them. And luckily, I know how to protect with my snow boxes. So I know I could get at least one round of unadulterated shooting. With being able to block, you know, with just one snow box, two hordes. When we did that... Like, okay, he did his, so I just said, okay, I could definitely win and dominate. You know, we have one dead center, because some jerk put it there, me. You know, so uh, I was like, I could take the middle. I know I have a lot of grind potential, but uh, it's Tom. Tom's one of the best alpha strike slash toolbox players I know. So I know he, he, 
he's smart. He doesn't pull the trigger right away, which a lot of people do. And that's a mistake with Alpha Strike. And I knew he'll do the dance with me. So I don't tend to make long bomb surgeons, which I need to get a surgeon destroy shirt, by the way, from your state, your fellow statesman. Oh, yeah, the SoCal guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah uh, they said a master that gave me one of the shirts. I'm the surge guy. So uh-huh. I need to. I like those guys. Surgeon destroy. Oh, it's hurt. I'm a metalhead. So that fits yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but so our, fir- for our first turn, I could say this one easy. Tom kept it. He does the same thing I do. He likes built in formation with some caveats. So he, I was like, I know he's going to play super tight. We've always had really tough games in our past. And the last time we played, he drew out my Trident Realms. Like it was, I think even the attrition was within 50 points or something. Uh, Tom might remember that. It was pretty close. Yep. Yep, you're right. Yeah. yeah, it was like within 50 points. It was that close. So this one, I was like, okay, well, he caught it. He, he played like he's, I guess, been playing to people where he could pincer them in, and he made one mistake. And I was like, well, I don't tend to do long bomb surges, but I learned at, at Masters that one, a guy that I, I tricked with surges back at the end of with my EOD, he, old Schlickin got me at Masters with the long bomb surge. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing to Tom. He just cocked his thing a little too far inside. So I was like, you know what? I have two surge, uh, two surges that with two re-rolls. So it's like I have surge 18. It was, uh, I think, a five-inch surge. Right, Tom? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it was a little bit longer than that. Cause I, but once you moved up six and then with the yeah. two re-rolls, I, think, I, I didn't think you would do that. But then knowing you had the re-rolls, it made a little bit more sense because you basically had two more surge dice. So yeah, I just turned a Revenant Cat Regiment for really no reason other than, I mean, there really wasn't any reason um, and stuck my corner out, so. And then that allowed me to blow some breath on him from Prim, Ice Elementals, then surge in the flank, which allowed me to turn. But Tom adapted to it, was able to hit. I couldn't block all my Ice Elementals from getting hit from uh, you know, uh, whites and everything like that because I was able to nuke off a couple of his Revenant Cav right off the bat with just my shooting alone, but he was able to come in and do a lot of damage. And I was like, well, this sucks because I can't heal as much as he can damage out. So, because he had Bane Champ support. Um, how many, I don't remember, do you remember how many you popped that first round that you charged? Two? Or was it well, three? So you had sure. four. One of them, you, you did the surge flank, and then I had to hit yeah. that one with, uh, uh, luckily, a, a hindered charge from a Revenant King. Uh, got that one to sit down. And then I charged one. I had one uh, hindered double charge with whites and vampires into one of the hordes. I had a flank, actually, um, with whites on one of them. Because after, I think you killed my Revcalf troop with your, your giants, uh, but then you did a sidestep. And you got three inches, with, which gave me line of sight past you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the center one, so I popped both of those. The center one was a hindered, uh, bane-chanted Soul Reaver charge, which on average I do 10 damage and need a seven twice, which isn't great odds, but, you know, it was Dustin. I knew I had to take some risks if I was going to win. And so that seemed like a doable, doable thing. The problem was that... Uh, if I didn't pop that middle one, then my whites, which had just flank charged his his ice elementals on the right, had to choose between potentially getting a, a rear from 
the ice, element, ice elementals that I didn't pop or getting a rear from his Frostfang Lord, which was pointing towards the center. And so I decided it was going to be a hindered uh, rear. And so even then I possibly would survive, whereas I definitely wouldn't survive a, a Lord uh, rear charge. And so I took the risk. It didn't pop him. Um, and then he did a pretty nice move the next turn to make sure his, the rear that I knew was coming was not hindered. Uh, so you can tell him about that. Yeah, that was uh, – so what I did was that Frostfang Lord being the, pretty much a, just a great piece in general, was able to see over his whites and I, by doing a combo charge with my samurai, which I, I didn't want to do because of our mission, but I still had to do it to kill the white horde, allowed me to shift over just enough that I was able to place him. So when I turned, I disengaged, pivoted 90 degrees, moved six inches which was able to be out of an inch away from the Soul Reavers. When I did that, then uh, I did the charge, so I slide over. When I was able to surge, that doesn't mean, that means I don't push into that terrain anymore. So since I didn't push into that terrain because of the Lord on Frostfang and, and the Samurai, uh, that allowed me to be there in the rear. And I know that Lord on Frostfang, it, you know, it's crushing three. So I was able to, between him and the Samurai, uh, pops the both the white and the soul reaver infantry while big daddy h came in and grounded the whites and then uh i think it was that turn that i used this it was after that that i put the snow foxes in front of your your other vampires which just killed a cavern dweller yeah well, my other dweller was i had one cavern dweller that just sat there grinding into his revenant cav until the laurent frost thing was freed up and you could flank them so that that ended up battling each other to the ground, and uh, by that time, I can't believe I survived a unhindered vampire lord charging me. So that was uh, Tom. I thought he, we and him both said, "Okay, that samurai's dead," but that was very shocking. We'll say. Yeah, and then you countercharged and uh, and killed the vampire lord in one one hit, and then I charged in with my samurai and hindered into your samurai again. Didn't pop it. You countercharged and popped my samurai. And at that oh, point, I was geez, like, "No, uh, okay, this is not." I mean, I probably wasn't going to win anyway, but I was thinking maybe I could pull a draw out, even with you know that gamble not paying off. At that point, I was like, Ugh, "All right, uh, yeah, this Sometimes is this that's is just, that's just how a game goes, right? When you when you play at a really high level and you're playing with people who are really good, it just that's what games come down to, right? Is the little yeah. tiny mistakes like like leaving just two millimeters of a flank open? Are you have one those one or two key bad rolls right? Really, it just really comes down to those really fine, fine, fine things when you're when you're both playing at a at a high level. Oh, exactly. And there was it was so swings like once he broke my center, I was like, well, well, this is you know bad for me. I'm on the back foot. So literally, it was lick for lick, uh, looked like a Rocky film where we're just beating the tar out of each other. And um, yeah. I, he not so Tom's Tom's advantage though he he did not use surge. So uh, I did not force him to the dark side yet. So I don't. Yeah, know. I went four games playing undead. I didn't. I don't think I cast surge once. I just I didn't need to. But but yeah, I definitely uh, <laughs> need to need to learn how to do that a little bit better. And I do agree. Like I played Tom a lot, and I I will say that you're a very patient player with lists that are not intuitively or inherently patient, right? Yes. Like 
when you have super fast things, you're like, I should be charging your whole army with with my bath with my speed on round two. But instead, I'm dancing, I'm pivoting, I'm moving, I'm moving. Especially when you have that elite army that you can't ever you can't risk losing pieces without getting something substantial in return. So, yeah, I need to make no, Especially when you're playing Dustin, who I think was probably, I think you said 15-0 with his list in practice games. So. Yeah, it, uh, that, that, that list won me, when I went to Austin, people I would play literally four games in a row with, guys who like playing me, literally would play it once and then they go, yeah, I don't want to play that one again. So <laughs> I, I didn't Ice think, elementals are so good. Well, now, and then it surged with 50 mil mon- and then I had 50 mil monsters. It's literally playing in my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's something so, uh, that's already good in a play style that you're familiar with and s- sort of your thing, right? So, I mean, I get what I can see how you're effective with it. Yeah, well, that and then I have two punching bags now. St- uh, Steven came out of retirement, and then one of my new players who came got second in sports. Uh, he ended up, uh, me and him have been playing a lot. So, poor uh, house Nick, you're just dist- you're, you're just uh, uh, being the best friend and neighbor because you guys are you don't you guys live right near each other? No, no, no. Tim, uh, the hobby king, Tim Delmas, is my neighbor. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, sure. And then, uh, oh, I, I'll never say anything bad about that man. And then, uh, House Nick lives about twenty minutes away. The yeah. other guys in Virginia. But uh, House Nick yesterday got a draw against me with uh, Ratkin. So not with my ice list, of course, but with Varnia. <laughs> but uh, House Nick is putting that in the list of things that he's gotten draws with. So awesome. So maybe see Rack in from House Nick in the future. Okay. Yeah, I got to play him. Um, super cool guy. We had a great game. He was playing his uh, all-armored dwarf list that you guys painted in like oh. a couple of weeks. For We got a uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That was a fun game. Um, cool. Well, why don't you take us through your last game, Tom? Why don't you go first? Take us through your, fi- your final game, and then we'll circle back to Dustin. Oh, before he goes. Sure. He goes, I'll jump in real fast. It, uh, going into game five, if I remember correctly, let me take a look here quick. Yeah, even, even after Tom lost, he was so far ahead, he still was in second place. Yes. <laughs> so so both the first and second yeah. place players in game five couldn't play each other because they had just played in game four. And they, oh, had, to wow. play, they had to play down to the third and fourth players. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so they, that was that was kind of funny. We were like... Uh, you guys this, could have been round four and round five. It could have been round four or five. We should have just done a rematch and made them play it out one more time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, instead I, I played all the way down to George O'Connell. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. It should have been an easy game for you. It, it, and so it, it just sucks when you lose. Like, after I lost to Dustin, I was like, okay, I, I'm not going to win the tournament. Um and but then you go to lunch and you get the matchups on your phone and you're like oh I gotta play I wanted to play George but you know it's like a game you're gonna really have to think and strategize and and you're just like oh man and so uh, George was playing pretty much his uh, Masters Goblin list with three um, uh, what are they called Rock Lavas three Sharp Stick Growers three uh, Wingets. And then the wrinkle this time, um, George and I actually have been, and Dustin too, have been talking online uh, since Masters. And I've been helping George kind of switch up his list a little bit. And the swap he made was he brought in uh, the Luggets instead of some of the Rabble. And then he lost a couple of the Bangets that he had to get those in. But it gave him a nice mealy core of uh, 
of units that can actually fight pretty decently in combat. Uh, unlike, I think he, at Masters he had six rabble hordes or something, and and there you're just relying 100% on your shooting to do any damage, uh, which can cannot work out sometimes. So uh, yeah, I know I think, in our game. Our game at Masters, that's exactly sort of like what happened was his uh, uh, his shooting was just not on par, maybe. We had one or two turns, and then the Basilean heals and everything, it just, you know, it was tough for him. So I think that was a cool addition to see to his list, uh, the Legates. He also yeah. brought the Madman, which I was adamant about him bringing. So yes. So uh-huh. pretty proud of him. Um, so we played um, Salt the Earth, which is where you have seven tokens, you can burn, well, I think it's, yeah, it's seven, including the one in the middle, which you can't, you can't ever burn. Um, the, the interesting things about this game were he, and the only, only gripe I have pretty much the entire tournament is that you could put depl- uh, hills in deployment zones at, at Dojo GT. Um, and, you know, the theory is that, well, your opponent can always just put a, a forest in the middle uh, you know, across from it or a hill across from it. Um, but, it, you know, it didn't really work out that way because I, I won the role to put um, terrain down first, so I had to place the Tory gate. So then George put a pond in the middle. Then I put a forest across from the pond. Um, then he put a hill across from the, on the other side of the pond. And then he won, he won the role and chose that side. So, he put all six of his war machines on top of that hill. And there were two other hills that I was going to hide behind, um, which ended up mattering not at all because he could just see over them and all this stuff's indirect. So it didn't matter for cover. Um, but I will say that after deployment, so we put, there's two forests next to each other on my side in the middle with a token in each one of them. Then two hills on the midline, both with tokens on top of them. And then the other two tokens were on the side with the forests, one kind of right next to an impassable, and then one in a, 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 a wheat field on the right. And so George won the role, and then he gave me the side with all the tokens, <laughs> including two in the forest, which I could just hide from him. And I guess because he wanted the hill to shoot off of, which was fine, um, but he was not going to get those two tokens in the force, you know, in the entire game. And so after he did that, he looked up and he's like, well, I just lost this game. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but I was kind of like, yeah, you probably just did. Uh, so my plan was just to put a Revcav troop and a, a Wraith, uh, I'm sorry, a white horde uh, to go after the two tokens on the hill and burn them. And then my vampires were each hiding behind a forest ready to, you know, kill whatever goblins got in there trying to contest. And then two RevCab regiments kind of out of sight on the sides where I was just going to hold, sit there until he came near me and then burn him and win two to one, you know, just give up the middle. Um, so that was the game plan. I thought it was going to succeed. Um, but then, so I, on the on the right-hand side, I, I burned the token, turn one, on the other side, it was like turn three before I could add enough unit strength uh, to to be able to burn it. And then for some reason, I decided that I should just hang out and <laughs> make him shoot me one more time. And and then I just burned it with either the Revcav troop that was alive or the, or the White Horde, which was alive. They were both pretty much unwounded. 
But with all that shooting, uh, I don't really know what I was thinking because right after I passed my turn, I was like, oh, I should have just burned it because he could definitely shoot off everything over there, which is exactly what happened. I think he, if I'm remembering correctly, he got like four re-rolls with the spotter unit onto the white horde. So he rolled four ones and they turned into hits, like three hits or something. And so he took off both of my units. So now he had two tokens on his side to my two behind the forest. Uh, and so one of us was going to have to uh, get one on the side to win or else it was going to be a draw. And he was able to just shoot off enough uh, to get my Rev Cav regiments off the board. And then it went to turn seven, if I'm remembering correctly, and he finally had enough uh, shooting. And, and I think he got a Luggett uh, regiment onto the right, uh, one in the forest. And so he won two to one, or well, yeah, cause he burned it. Actually he won three to one, but he, but yeah. So by forgetting to burn that token, I, I pretty much lost the game for myself. And, and, you know, no shame in that. George is a great player, you know, perennial masters qualifier. So, I mean, you go up against anyone in that caliber, it's a tough game. So no, and he, he played it perfect. I told him I was really impressed by how well he played. And he's, he's actually a good game. Um, you know, he has kind of a reputation, but at least with me, he was great. It was a great game. Yeah, I played him at Masters last year, like I said. I was a, a very happy. It was a nail-biter, really great game. So, okay, Dustin, why don't you take us through your final game? Well, I got to play, uh, I would consider this guy a friend, uh, great guy, Adam Ballard. And we, we've been talking online ever since our first, when I took EOD first time to Masters, we played end of the second day last table and uh it was his shooting silver breeze list versus my eod and he liked eod so much that he ended up running it he's a really good player so uh, i was pretty honored that he would take up eod after that game so going into it i was like well it's an army i know very well but i know he is like one of the greatest i'd say marksmen's and uh kings of war when it comes to shooting he knows his stuff so he took a very a different approach, was similar to mine, but more toolbox. He ended up taking a horde of warriors with two, I remember this game real well, two skeleton spearmen regiments, which were great. Because unit strength three for only 105, that's, that's cheap for a defense four phalanx. Then he took, uh, some mum, he took one mummy, and then he took a slave guardian, and then slave guardian archers. Now, the archers, they didn't do much. But at the end of the game, they made uh, the mark call against me. Then he took the standard monolith, soul snare, stobic, two bone giants, and a you know, drain life priest. But the, but the two catapults. So we had it. Uh, there's hills in the middle, uh, impassable on the uh, far left side, from my point of view. And I put the Tory gate on the very far right. When he got first turn to go first, I at least made it so he couldn't put a lot of uh, everything in one unit. Like I, the hills protected me from catapults from my ice elementals. I had only had the missions that were kind of useless against him. So I had the Seppuku in his deployment zone one, which I did it so I could guarantee get it. I put it on the far right because of my early drops where the Tory gate was. And he put all of the shooting on the far left. So I knew I wasn't going to actually disorder anything. We ended up having two objectives kind of buried on the right side. And then we ended up just fighting around the middle, kind of like uh, dominate with uh, some hills. I ended up burning a lot of mine because 
I tend to always play really aggressively. And his first turn of shooting, I was able to heal off because of just the heal. Then uh, the net, after my first round, I was able to mitigate a lot of shooting. So I was okay with one catapult shooting, one cavern dweller. But I would never allow it to have all his shots at the same target, if that makes sense. So uh, he could overwhelm shoot. So uh, I ended up moving forward with ice elementals, using the hill as cover against the catapult. Um, he did a great job. That's Adam. You, you know he's gonna. He's a phenomenal player. Uh, he did a great job of mitigating me able to uh, me from putting all of my breath in the same target, which is what I was going for. Now, so. I rolled below average against his mummies, but I froze them enough to make a movement four. So he had a waste surge to get them in combat. But I rolled my butt off on uh, damaging his bone giant that he's using as an anchor on his far right. And I forgot what it was for the nerve. I did like 10 wounds with two hordes, which on average should be nine, which is fine. But I rolled uh, like an eight twice just popping it, which was unexpected. Uh, and I had Krim by himself. With two snow foxes and the samurai on my far right as anchors. Um, so once that happened, I was like, well, I'll use these snow foxes instead of chaff, two of them, to go babysit those two uh, objectives. So I, I'll always have them. Because I was able to run Krim to block his, he had a skeleton horde that just burnt an objective uh, that was on uh, by, pretty much by itself. So I knew they were going to fight each other. I was like, yeah, I could waste the whole game with Krim fighting one skeleton horde, which is a waste of his points. But as long as he holds them, that means I could hold two objectives. Maybe kill, uh, since he burnt that one, I could hold two objectives. And just he did the one where he had to kill double. So I just throw my samurai into the back of his skeletons, which eventually did nothing. At, after that, it literally started coming forward. Shobit came with his friends, which I couldn't stop. Um, so I, with, when Shobik engaged, I was like, this is going to be painful. Killed a cavern dweller. But then I got super lucky. I put a cavern dweller. He was trying to move up his side with his slave guardian with the caterpillar. Uh, threw a, a Lord of Frostfang and a cavern dweller into that uh, unit, which I ended up popping in one round, which, uh, you know, rolled, rolled a decent amount of attacks for the cavern dweller. So that, you know, you can't judge when it's D6 plus 6. I mean, what you're going to do. So I end up hopping that uh, enslaved guardian, turning, so I'm double stacked, which normally is bad, right? Your taller units in front, your smaller units behind. But I decided to make them face the same way because there's that giant hill in the middle. Well, uh, he ended up going, he wanted to shut down the shooting, so he threw Shobik. Instead of doing surge shenanigans, he went with uh, Shobik into an ice elemental and then throwing the other ice elemental into my cavern dweller, which all he had to do and his samurai into my lore and frost thing. He was looking to, if he wavers that cavern dweller, I'm stuck. Uh, if he wavers the Lauren Frosting, same thing, I'm stuck. Um, but neither one of them were wavered, which allowed me to, because that uh, monolith is taller than my cavern dweller, I was able to do a nimble charge with my Lauren Frosting, getting out of the way, which allowed me to use my disengage one inch from his bone giant, which put me in the rear of Shobik. So I was able to rear Shobik with a cavern dweller. Because we all know, if Shobik doesn't die, you're battling uphill. Um, and since Shobik couldn't slide all the way, he was on my far left. So it's a 50 mil flush with my a large infantry horde. So I didn't even have to surge. I could declare a charge and it's a flank. So I did that as well. After the ice elementals in front of that caused him to not shift, they were able to get a rear on the giant. 
So on that turn, I ended up not killing the, uh, the monolith, but I ended up killing a cavern dwell, uh, the bone giant and Shobik, which that means no bone giant to no Shobik. I should be good to go. Cause his, his catapults hit every, uh, on average, pretty dead center. His archers did nothing. They were on a hill until turn five. Turn five, those things found their inner elf, and Adam came back with a vengeance. He killed two unwounded ice elemental hordes dead right off the bat. And so they went from zero to dead. And I was like, ouch, this is going to hurt. I need to stop him because he had first turn. So I was able to get up. He was holding, he had a skeleton warrior uh, regiment in the far left. Uh, holding, I know I couldn't get that one unless it goes seven turns. And then we had the one in the middle, my ice were holding, and a two that I was holding with the, uh, I was holding two with the snow foxes. So he had two, one's hold by his like, guardian horde. And th- when the game ended, it was I hold three, he holds two. Now, Hrim ended up chewing through his, uh, Hrim ended up chewing through his skeleton. So I was po- posed to go in if it's a seven. And maybe get another one, but he was so catty, he was able to deal with it. And um, luckily, I didn't get any bone. This is the first person I didn't get any attrition on, really. And uh, I think it was within like 100 points or 200 points. It was 100 or 300. It was below the plus or minus. Uh, didn't get both of us got our plus two for our samurai. He did double damage. I killed myself in uh, his deployment zone. And, um, yeah, that was a close game, which it's Adam. Uh, I imagine we always have you know close games. We bounce the list off each other. And I found out yesterday when I was playing tabletop, when I said I was uh, showing the new player that I had these stairs for Masters with my name on it. And then I showed it to him, and he goes, I didn't know your name's Adam Ballard. Apparently, we swapped stairs. So looks like I'll be, I'll be bringing so two. That's funny you bring up those stairs because I, one of my players, Dustin, we were playing after one Masters, and I was like, we were doing anything out, and I was like, oh, I didn't realize you were Andrew Summers in disguise, and he, <laughs> he had taken he had taken Andrew Summers' uh, uh, stairs from uh, their game at whatever I think it was San Antonio Masters, but um, well, cool man, uh, congratulations again, Dustin, for the victory. We'll go. I'm gonna go really quick through some of the highlights, some of the awards. Um, Dustin uh, took best overall and best general. Congrats to him. Um, you. you you guys also had like a best of uh, alignment, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So Dustin picked up good. Uh, Adam had evil and Lex picked up neutral. Um, George came in a second battle, Lex third in battle. Um, I loved that your wooden smooth was the last samurai. Is what you guys call it, and it was a nice framed picture of Tom Hank or Tom Cruise, uh, and I love that Chuck won both both Counter Charger and uh, the Wooden Spoon. So congratulations to Chuck, uh, and then it was nice to see my boys Hank, Jordan, Jeffrey uh, bringing home the paint awards. Um, that is one uh, uh, thing in Titans we do have is we do have a lot of really awesome hobbyists. So that was really great to see, especially Hank. Hank's army is pretty uh, ridiculous. Um, uh, cool. Well, we're going to take a break. Uh, and then on the other side, uh, we're going to talk with Aaron about sort of uh, what he has planned for the future. What did he learn? What things uh, will change? Will clocks be mandatory next year? Stay tuned. Hey, this is Luke from Luke's APS listening to Counter Charge. 
And we are back. Um, so as we wrap out the show, Aaron, uh, you want to talk a little bit about maybe some things you've learned, some stuff you want to, you know, put for next year, any rules changes you're going to do? Or what's Dojo like looking forward for next year's Samurai GT? The feedback I've gotten so far, most of the special rules that I put into this tournament have gotten positive feedback. A uh, couple of the ones that were a little bit game-changing were highlighted during the the uh, talks Tom and Dustin did. So I I did break from the uh, from the whole concept of hills not being allowed in deployment zones a little bit by simply saying that no terrain can be closer than six inches to a board edge. So the hills are at most you're you're sitting at the front of your deployment zone on the hill and you're not hiding in the very back corner. Um, and then I also put in that seppuku rule for the samurai mainly so that the samurai could be used to shut down a maxed out shooting spam list. And and that combined with third edition being a little less reliant on shooting and kind of nerfing some of the more powerful units, I thought was sufficient. Tom may not agree 100% after playing George, but but I think in general, it, it definitely, uh, the rules kind of balanced out with the way the train was placed and and the rules that were set up against the shooting as well. So I've, I've heard both positive and negative from sides, so I think it's kind of even in the middle. So I'm probably going to keep it more or less the same for next year. The Tory Gate rules also had kind of a mix of feedback. People like the special train feature since it only allowed heroes to go on it, and, and it was a smaller size hero, so not the big monsters. I, I did those also specifically to help protect the samurai and to encourage little individual heroes to be used because it kind of gave a... a uh, a point where your heroes can sit in the middle of the board and launch out to make attacks safely uh, without having to hide behind the rest of the army. And I, I think Dustin mentioned that that was one of the things he used, and I saw a lot of people using them for that purpose. Uh, uh, individual heroes were are sometimes discouraged because they're easily targetable and it's hard to protect them sometimes, so I figured a cool terrain piece that focused on them would be would be nice since all the other terrain works well with, with the rest of the, the armies. And it and I had to have something that it could do because I we went through and 3D printed a whole bunch of fancy terrain and I kinda wanted wanted some of the terrain to at least be unique and interesting for the tournament. So I'm gonna definitely keep some rules similar to the Tory Gates, though they may adjust slightly to make sure that some of the abusable stuff doesn't happen. Um, people mentioned the samurai rules as well. Um, I know Tom thought maybe the ensnare was a little bit powerful, but I didn't see the neutral alignment armies having uh, a significant benefit over the good and evil with the samurai. They seem to work more or less evenly, so I may tweak that neutral hero a little bit, but I think uh, the samurai were pretty balanced overall. I don't know if the other guys had any other thoughts on that, but I was pretty happy with the way no one seemed to have an, a significant advantage there. Um, I I did break with a lot of the South GTs. I don't recall if there are any that have uh, required painting uh, in the past several years. They they strongly encourage it, of course, if you want to get an overall award or or get a a painting award. But they were, a lot of them were just saying you have to have them built and. Uh, I, I just made the flat rule that everything has to be painted, mostly because this is I, I was wanting a more of a master's caliber player to attend or for new players to be able to see 
nice armies and get a good feel for it. And if you're going to be delving into a uh, into a uh, tournament and spending your hard-earned money, you should at least if, uh, spend a little bit of time to paint your armies, and everyone will enjoy themselves more if they can have that more a little bit more immersive hobby experience uh, being able to play another well-painted army across from them and i think everyone was pretty happy with with it and there weren't any gripes about the painting being mandatory so we're going to keep that for sure next year what else was there oh the uh, battle scoring we didn't go over that in detail but i i put in those those samurai objective cards and i'm going to add another one or two to them for the next year uh to give you all a little bit more uh options with your play style but those were a big hit. I had pretty much no negative comments about the Samurai Objectives. Uh, a lot of people really enjoyed the minigame that, that happened with the Samurai Objective cards because unlike a, a bonus point that you might get in, in other tournaments, this one was part of the blackjack scoring. So if one player got their Samurai Objectives, the other player would lose points uh, out of the total, the, the 21 points that were available. And and Dustin was the only one that was able to, between the attrition uh, point bonuses and the samurai bonus, actually pull a loss on scenario to a one point win, in his I think it was game three. Uh, uh, that was in, in your game against Jeff, right? Jeff Swan, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. and, and uh, that got that got brought up on Facebook. So on, uh, I know if, if there was some talk about it and about how you know there was a possibility that someone could get a win out of that when when they should have lost. And I'm like, no, no, no. The intent was that you either could win the easy way, which is just get more objectives, or you could win the hard way, which is lose the objective but kill literally everything else and stop your opponent from getting the samurai bonuses while getting your own. And if you if you go through that much effort and all you did is lose by one or two little scenario points, at I, I don't see any reason why you should have a, a, a actual loss at that point. You, you, you deserve a win if you crush their army and they're just having one unit that's hiding in a corner, cowering, waiting for, them, for the, the hammer to come down on them. But the game runs out before they could get killed. And, and that's, that, the, that's the reason I built that list because I was like, I looked at the Samurai objectives and knew which mission I was going to play against every type of army. And attrition wise, I was like, okay, there's too many Texas GTs where the person will literally just go hide and win by one. Or and try to submarine their way to victory. I was like, that's not going to be a lot. When I saw that attrition was mattered, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to make them fight me. Yep. And on that game, if, if I had to turn seven, it gives us a 21. So, so there you go. <laughs> it's better than me blackjacking. So. Yeah. Well, there were only, I think, four uh, full 21-point uh, wins during the entire tournament, which is about what I would expect and uh, to be appropriate. Uh, we had a pretty good bell curve uh, on the scores. I, I'm, I've I've made the decision to go away from the 21, uh, 21-0 blackjack system, to actually adding three more points to it, making it a twenty-four-zero system. So a draw would be a twelve-twelve, and a win would be a sixteen-eight. Um, and then that gives me some room to throw an extra scenario bonus on there. So if you get bigger. If you get more objectives, you can uh, from the scenario you can get a bigger victory. So it gives you an incentive to actually win a, a bigger game or to deny your opponent a bigger win by 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 at least holding on to one more objective or denying them one more objective. Uh, I'm definitely keeping the samurai objectives um, at two points because 
it gives players a chance to actually accomplish something other than the main objectives on the battlefield. And one of the mechanics that I put in there that that I found a few people actually appreciated the uh, the uh, thought put into it was that the the objectives were selected oh, one before the other. So you so the player who was going second got to select their samurai bonus objective after they saw their opponent's samurai bonus objective. And the way I had the objectives set up. Uh, some of them could counter each other, so you might you might choose the objective where uh, you have you're going to commit seppuku and your samurai is going to die to get the two points, but your opponent goes, oh well, if you're definitely going to die, I might as well take the one that says the assassinate one that says I want my samurai my samurai's uh, my opponent samurai to die before the end of the game, and at worst case scenario. Uh, your opponent has now uh, the trouble of they can max get one point uh, by by killing themselves uh, because as soon as they kill themselves, even if they kill them in their own and, and get the full two points by killing them on the other side of the board, uh, they they also give their opponent one bonus point automatically. And being able to use your objectives carefully in order to counteract your opponents it makes a difference, and it actually gives an incentive to going second. Solely, if you solely, so you can actually make the choice to try to have the best chance to get that extra two bonus points, uh, which, in normal scenario play, going first in ninety nine percent of the situations is always better. It's it's almost always better to get board control and capture those objectives early, hold them, and threaten your opponents if they try to come close to you, and 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 it's only in a few situations where. There's a certain amount of speed differentiation between the armies that going second might be better. Or if you have like a wind blast, you can push the enemies off at the on the bottom of turn seven that you might be able to have a better chance of going second. But in this case, going second actually gives you a pretty significant bonus. So I, I do like that mini game, and and the folks that actually tried to uh, think it through um, had some had some some extra success, I think, because of it. The 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 big thing that I'm trying to figure out how I want to do is uh, is the overall score. So I chose to do something a l- very different from the South GTs and and different from most of the other GTs uh, that are that are Masters qualifiers uh, do, which was take a take a system that was similar to the Paragon uh, award for Masters this last year, which was based on the sum of your ranking. So didn't matter how many battle points you had or how many sports points you had. If you were the highest sports player, highest battle uh, player, you would get first place. And then you would add that placing to whatever your place was in sports and paint. And that combined total was your was your score for overall. And then those were aligned to give you a ranking for who had the, the fewest points, uh, meaning you had the lowest um, the lowest uh, ranking overall, meaning putting it at the highest uh, position, and that did a couple of things that I I really wanted to do, which was one focus on the soft scores a bit more, um, because uh, the overall in my mind has always been: Are you a true all-around hobbyist? Just being able to just completely destroy all your opponents and then having a tabletop quality paint job and not getting a bad game vote, uh, but not necessarily being a best game, shouldn't be enough to get overall, in my opinion, which is how most of the tournaments can operate. You don't necessarily have to be the best sport or the best painter as long as you're not bad at them and you crush your opponents. 
because yeah. battle is scored so heavily at a lot of these tournaments that it overall really just means the best general yeah, and it's not it's it's not really a, an award for overall skill in every category. You you literally can't win first overall without being amazing in every category. You have to be not just get one best game vote. You have to get at least probably three or more best game votes from your opponents. You have to be in the top ten in paint, and you have to be in the top ten in battle minimum um, to have a chance of getting first overall. Um, and and Dustin. Uh, he he kind of screwed up the system by being first in battle and like third in paint and I think tenth in in sports. Yeah. So he was way higher than the next the next highest person by a long shot. My my thought was there might be like a dark horse, you know, where you're like, oh, that person's a, a pretty decent. He's pretty good in every category, but he's like the first runner up that doesn't get a podium award, you know. So he's like fourth or fifth place in every category, but never quite gets there because getting to the 15 to uh, 18 points uh, in ranking was was a sweet spot where you're going to win first overall. And uh, it ended up being Dustin happened to get first overall. Uh, but the, there were some interesting upsets. People weren't exactly, either they, they didn't read the notes or they didn't realize how the math would work out when you actually score each category evenly on the ranking system. Because, like you said, the uh, Chuck Williams didn't believe me when I told him he was countercharger because he had, well, even though he was last place in battle, he had one of the highest sports scores and he had a really good paint score. And so he ended up with his overall averaging out to dead center of the pack on, yeah. on when you average all three scores together. Um, but if he were to play under any of the the, the normal situations uh, where battle was weighted so heavily, he would have been in the bottom, you know, ten players most likely. And, and I really, I really like that. I think that uh, uh, the idea that best overall is like a, a 33, 33, 33 percent, meaning that you're weighting all of the triangle, the hobby triangle, battle, sports, and paint equally, essentially, right? Is what that system lets yes. you do. Yeah, and that was my thought was that it would be good. Uh, I've had a lot of people say they would prefer the battle be weighted heavy, more heavily, which I can go to a fifty percent battle and twenty five sports and paint. Uh, that's that's what one of the ones that I'm strongly considering. Uh, people were were not a hundred percent happy with the battle not weighing more because uh, they're so used to that. So I, I I'm not against going with what the majority wants. Uh, so that is definitely likely to be the case next year where I'll wait it more, but I'm definitely going to stay with the ranking system to some degree with some, maybe some tweaks to it to make sure it balances a bit better. Uh, the ranking system does something that you don't get with doing raw scores added together. And that is when you just add the, the basic scores together, you don't really have a good ratio of each category. Um, so, for instance, with uh, this tournament, when I did the math, the best, the first place in battle only got 70, I think it was 78% of the maximum points they could have gotten. But the first place in paint got 93% of the points that were available, and the first in sports had 95% of the points available. So if you just add those together, you even if you have a ratio that you intend to work well 
like let's say I wanted to have 50% of the points, like I had 120 points for, for battle and 60 points for paint and 60 points for sports available because battle's so hard to get max points on for the, for the top player, it's never going to be the actual ratio you thought it was going to be. Uh, but most tournaments, someone's got a good chance of maxing out sports or getting close to it or maxing out paint or getting really close to it. Uh, and by doing the ranking, you you are competing against the rest of the players there in uh, a little bit more directly instead of just trying to improve your score by a couple points here or there and adding them to your total. You're just trying to be better than the, the next person on the list. And so even though Dustin was ahead on battle by, I don't remember what it was, it was like 12 or 15 or something like that points, might have been more, uh, but then the second highest player, he uh, he still only was one point higher on the ranking than the second highest player. And that, that removes some of the, some of the, oddities that happen where people can uh can lose like three of their five games but their paint score is so astronomically high in their uh that they that they get essentially an extra free win out of it above a player that has a a top you know a top 10 point painted army but not the best one and uh those have been some of the con the the conflicts that have been kind of driving me to, to try the system out. Now, it's not perfect. The, the thing that I found as I'm going through the math on all of these is that there's literally no way to do a fair overall score. They're all, they're all messed up in some way, and it's just what feels best for what the goal is. Hopefully, I, I meet that goal uh, in next year, but uh, the, the plan is, is that you're going to get rewarded for, for being really good in every category and overall but when it comes to the the individual awards for battle and appearance and sports, uh, the system I've got I think works pretty well for getting a good separation on those and and actually testing your skill um, in a more objective way. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I've already kind of decided to keep those those systems pretty much the same. And I'm just trying to figure out if I want to adjust that battle significantly or not the overall significantly or not. But I'll probably put some polls up there and have people talk about it as we get a little bit closer to the event next year, since we still got 14 months to decide exactly how this is going to work. It's not an emergency. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to make sure that I have a second person to help me because my my helper John Green uh, had a last minute emergency and couldn't attend, and so I had to do all my paint scoring on my own, which I am definitely not the most qualified person to do paint scoring. Fortunately, my my rubric was fairly straightforward and made it easier for me to do it, but I definitely, I really wanted to have that help there. And then also having some help with kind of keeping things organized uh, from round to round and having someone that was just sitting next to me to help me get things going uh, and smoothly uh, uh, would have been nice. But fortunately, everyone was really uh, patient and allowed me the, the time I needed to actually get uh, the uh, tournament running in a, at a decent clip, but but they gave me the, the, the extra time I needed to actually catch up when I got behind and scores needed a little more tallying or a little fix needed to happen because there's an error. And uh, it still went pretty smoothly, uh, even without the extra helper, but I definitely don't want to go without it where I literally can't leave the room uh, next year. Um, 
I, I, I have an appreciation for anybody who runs a tournament now uh, more than I did before because this was quite a bit more work than I expected up front. And uh, it was rewarding, but uh, but it definitely takes a lot of your focus. I think I worked 20 out of 24 hours each day. So I got like four hours of sleep each night. Uh, it was it was a bit uh, a bit taxing on me. So well, unfortunately, like I said, I wasn't able to go. Uh, but this next year, count me count me in. And yeah. I think that the the amount of work you've done, even for someone who didn't go to the event, but who's been a, a part of the website and everything, I think it's not unnoticed. So yeah, I'm excited of, of being like a big proponent of overall. And I think in the end. You can be a fan of overall, even uh, the game has to exist for us to have people to play with. And the game is more likely to exist if we're painting cool models and giving people good games. That, that samurai model, uh, I, was, I was happy to see how many people were, were ready with a cool samurai model to, uh, to attend the tournament. Uh, if, if you haven't gone and uh, looked at the website yet... Um, on the results page, there's pictures of all the samurai that attended, and I think I think almost everybody made some sort of conversion to a to an existing model or picked a specialized model uh, specifically to be their samurai. Uh, I think there were only like two two or three people that just had a out of the box model that they used that may have been just like a last minute choice because they didn't have time to customize one. But that was it was really cool to see the people get into the uh, the theme. And uh, and focus on on that aspect and paint cool mo- cool armies and it was cool to see that uh, uh, Nick brought an all samurai army as well uh, even though it wasn't going to be the most um, competitive uh, just to stay with the uh, the theme of the tournament and getting into it uh, that's that's the kind of stuff I, I love to see because that means that we have hobbyists that um, are in it for the experience not necessarily just to smash face. The way you ran it, all my new players, and even the ones who got out and came back in, like Steven, they've gotten the bug so bad because you made them have painted armies. Mm-hmm. And all my this, this three of my guys that was their first GT, and you know one came second sports, other eighth in battle, well tied, and they were like everything. They came playing other game systems from bolt action to 40k, and they said, "I this was ran so smoothly, everything was gorgeous." They said they didn't have one rule snafu. There was, they didn't see any arguments. And they said that they, they loved all of Jeremy's t- teammate stuff so much. They kept asking me about, man, who's that Hank guy? And I introduced him to Hank, Jordan, and showed him Jeff's army because they were like, the Starks were so cool. And uh, then they saw, you know, you had Dylan. You had a room full of painters that are also nice guys who also know how to play. And that's what they said. You know what? We're just going all in. And they've been building, I don't know how many lists they've been sending me, but they've actually been building and painting like madmen because of the way you ran that tournament. I said, all of our tournaments, they run that smooth, you're in a good, uh, you know, that's Kings of War for you. And you make it easy for me to get them motivated. That's awesome. It's good to hear. Well, well, cool, fellas. Thanks. I want to really, really be thankful for you guys uh, coming on to the show. Again, dojogt.com. And do you know, Aaron, next year, when time-wise, when the next one's going to be? Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, barring any more pandemics and apocalypses, uh, we're still going to have it um, uh, in 2021. And it'll be September 17th through 19th. So that's a Friday through Sunday. Uh, 
the the five games again, just like this year, uh, on the 18th and 19th, three of Saturday, two on Sunday, and uh, we'll have we'll have the same the same uh, basic rules. So everything that's on the website now that came from last year is going to be more or less the same. So if you want to start planning now, and you you definitely can, uh, and and uh, I hope to see a bigger crowd. Assuming that we don't have the same restrictions of like COVID caused us this year, uh, we should have enough room to hold uh, 60 players instead of just uh, in the 30s like we did this year. So hopefully it'll, we'll be able to get it in the 50s and 60s, and you'll have a, a really strong uh, room filled with uh, both new players and Masters players. <laughs> and and hopefully this is enough notice so that uh, Lady of the Lake doesn't uh, set their tournament on the exact same weekend as ours like it was initially <laughs> planned this year. <laughs> but, so uh, I'm trying to give everyone as much notice as possible so you can make plans. And we're right next to the airport. So if you just want to fly in from out of town, uh, the, you can literally just get off the plane and hop on a shuttle and I'll take you straight to the venue. Don't have to bother with an Uber. Well, the the real question is, are you taking challenges for next yeah. year? Yeah, yeah, we'll take challenges. Uh, I, I didn't make a big deal out of challenges, uh, but but a couple of people challenged them challenged anyway, and I accepted them this year. So if anyone wants the challenge, if you want to play against a player uh, that you've never had a chance to fight before, let's say you're a newer newer guy and and you heard Dustin is the shit, and you you really want to <laughs> test them and see if that's true, uh, feel free to challenge them and. And you might get your ass kicked, or you might uh, go down to history as being, you know, some some, war, some yeah, kings of war god. Yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> and I, I hope I hope uh, Tom is going to challenge uh, George next year uh, and and actually kick his ass like he should have after George <laughs> gave him seventy five percent of the tokens. <laughs> yeah. 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 I might have to do that. <laughs> No, I said Aaron's fluff update was amazing. He yeah. updated the fluff for the for the backstory to show uh, the DT, and that was I like I like the added flavor you added. I just saw that the other day. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured since it's themed to to uh, a degree, we should have at least some sort of story to to build your army off of. Um, and so, yeah, on the main page, uh, it's got a little it's got a little uh, background information as to uh, Dustin's uh, uh, samurai hero, who is now the shogun of of uh, Nippon, Ogami is, Ito, is is yeah, Ogami Ito <laughs> is is now now in charge. But uh, the question is, how long will he hold his power? Yeah, well, it's it, you know, as from the website, it is clear the civil war is far from over. Oh yes, you know? <laughs> yeah, love it. Um, well, any shout-outs, fellas? Uh, Tom, Dustin, any any final closing thoughts? No, I'm just, just happy that it was such a success. It's sorry that the uh, the COVID stuff kind of took away from it somewhat. Um, but I I think you know Aaron is the perfect person to be a TO. Uh, he's he's very fair. He's extremely hardworking, and uh, he really cares about and listens to feedback. And so I think we have nowhere to go but up. Uh, and he just he really hit a home run with his first ever GT. Uh, it didn't seem like that because everything was so smooth. So really the big story is just what a great job Aaron did. Um, and then I will say to everybody out there, uh, we're going to have another call to arms tournament. Uh, we'll be involved in running it again, most likely. 
And that's probably going to happen in September or so. So look out for that. Awesome. And um, Emerald Dragon GT is coming up soon. That's normally Seattle's big event of the year. They are running that online. Um, So if you haven't checked that out, check out uh, Riley Nadu. Visibility Riley is going to be running that. Have you... uh, it, those are harder for you to do, right, Tom? The like the UB tournaments that have to be in in a weekend. Yeah, it's harder for me to do, and the fact that Mark that Mark Cox doesn't let them count for anything sure. <laughs> sets my <laughs> my uh, desire to participate. But yeah, it's actually it's easier for me to go away for at a GT for a weekend than it is to be in my house the whole weekend and play with two kids and a wife. You know, wondering. Yeah, what we I'm doing. we just just. We just decided to the West decided to allow you you can use for your out of region swap if you want to swap in a digital tournament as long as it's counted in its home region we allow it just because we have so few tournaments here anyway let alone you know let alone in COVID we just had to have some of that flexibility so yeah what about you Dustin any any shout outs well I'm I'm like I said he did such a great job with the transparency of everything from his ruling his way he judged it to what the missions were prior to the event and post-event, how he scored everything. Uh, Aaron, I, I don't think there could have been a smoother tournament. It's one of the smoothest ones I've ever been attended. And uh, so good job, home run on that one. Thank you. As of what I'm doing, Bison, hopefully Brian uh, still is able to host uh, Bison Brawl. So I get to go there and play those guys, which are last year was super fun. Like that was a really good GT to go to. Uh, then uh, we're hoping out, uh, it's up to Ryan and whatever he finds out for if you know they're doing it in San Antonio or whatnot. But after that, I think the next one after that is Shiloh. But if the Minnesota guys hold one, I might go up there and play up there. So I like those guys so much, I might as well go on their turf so they can give me a spanking and send me back down south. Yeah, and if uh, if Alamo doesn't happen, I may go to the southeast to attend the Forge GT if that goes on a uh, Nathan Clevenger tournament. So we'll see what happens. Exactly, that might the Forge and the Samhain one it seems so right up my alley. Twenty five hundred points, and you can make a character. So that one seems fun, but that mm-hmm. one's filling up fast. So we'll know out on my birthday, which is August the eighth, what the fate for Alamo is. Sure. Yeah. You know, let's hope that, you know, Ryan finds a, a spot to hold an in-person event for those who haven't been. Alamo GT was my first Kings of War GT, first tournament I ever traveled to. Super great event. Um, yep. it, it really is. If you're a hobbyist, it's probably, uh, it's a bucket list event to get to, to have Ryan judge your army. Um, <laughs> uh, he single-handedly caused me to become a good painter. Um, because I use him as a rubric every year. That's how I've been able to improve my paint score where I could always finish in the top three because of him. Uh, that and good coaches like Austin and John Green uh, for painting. They, uh, Ryan's, uh, his judging is so impartial and fair. And such a, uh, you can actually judge yourself every year and just become, make improvements to become better. Like you said, a sure. personal record, you go. And he is a great paint judge. We still sit and talk with you. And part of what he judges, he wants to see improvement. He wants to see you growing as a hobbyist. And, you know, like you said, wants to see where it's, you know, conflict is pathway to mastery, where it's all about trying to get better and better and better each step of the way. And um, Ryan is a great proponent of that in in his judging style. So, um, well, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show again. Again, make sure you guys check out Joe 
dojogt.com for all information, Samurai Showdown and Dojo. Make sure uh, you have any uh, questions or always, you know, feel free to come onto the Countercharge Facebook group. Um, After Dark is going strong. We have a solid Discord channel with people getting on to do After Dark. So uh, make sure you check out the Countercharge Facebook page for the link to the After Dark Discord. And remember, until next time, always keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.